There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, nominal. Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well, I did mention in the the last extra episode that we might be a bit sporadic about how we put the shows out, but we are back and on the other fader should be John Berger. How you doing, sir? I'm locked down. I guess we all are now at this point, though. Yeah, some more than others, but we won't go into that. Uh, I will simply say that it's very clear that... uh, we Yankees have never gone through ravages of things like wars. Yeah, that much is evident. I'll, I'll leave it there, because we are clearly reacting differently than Europe. You've got some idiots out there. We, we've been having some really good weather lately, and people have decided to, you know, go out on picnics and uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, that's... Just Stop! Stop! Why are people doing this? The majority of the country are doing... We're doing quite well, considering. I'm struggling between how much is too much and how much is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to get into a whole bunch of details on anything because this isn't the place for it. No. But, uh, do you have the forced mask restriction now? No. Okay, so several of the states have that. Um... Pennsylvania is one of them where if you go into another business place, you actually go in, you have to wear a mask. Now, part of me is like, okay, the studies vary all over the place, but in general, masks aren't going to do a whole hell of a lot. If they make you feel better, fine. I don't care. That is one thing I don't understand. Here in, in the U.S. anyway, I don't know if it's the same in England, we look at people in China and Japan and they wear masks whenever and they're kind of like oh why are they doing that that is so weird well you know i probably should be wearing a mask more over here because i have asthma yeah so i probably should be wearing one you know maybe those people aren't feeling too good and they want to make sure nobody else gets it maybe they have pollution issues over there maybe they have asthma beijing has serious pollution problems i don't i don't get the stigma of masks over here but at the same time I have to wear a mask to enter a place of business, but yet I have to enter the place of business by touching the same door handle that everybody else has been touching to open the door to get into that place of business where you have to wear a mask. My brain hurts thinking about that. Uh, It's just just the inconsistency about it. On the plus side, I can at least let my nerd side show, and I have 3D printed a mask that is in the shape of Darth Vader's face. I did see this. I was like, okay, you know what? If I have to do this, then that's what I'm doing. And the thing is, it's actually two pieces where you've got this base unit and then you've got Vader's faceplate. The whole thing is available to anyone. Somebody else took that base unit and then made a faceplate for Bane, as shown in the Batman movie. And you just need a voice changer on it. That would be superb. (laughs) Well, the benefit to the Darth Vader, you know, it's already kind of muffled and my voice is already kind of low anyway. So, you know, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Isn't all that difficult. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's fun because, you know, I'll wear that at work. Job number two anyway, because job number one, we work from home. And people are just like, you are such a nerd. And I'm like, thank you. I don't know if you've seen the joke online where 
this guy saying, you know, I've been waiting for this moment to arrive where a guy can go out in his full Stormtrooper outfit. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter says we should go out as plague doctors. <laughs> I'm I'm all for that. I'd have no problem doing that. I just want a Mando bucket. I really do. That would be superb going around the supermarket wearing one of those. I think that's the kind of thing, though, where if you did that anyway, most people would probably think it's cool. Yeah. Maybe a little bit awkward, but they'd still think it's cool. <laughs> yeah. In general, I mean, spirits are still quite high. Yeah, I think so. Uh, people are getting behind everybody else. I'm, I'm part of different Facebook groups to help other people out. And some of the things that you see on there, are, you know, somebody's having trouble trying to do things and somebody offers their services to help out. And it's really good. It's a good feeling. It is, you know, and we can't let the uh, uh, certain types of individuals, like those who protest because they can't get their hair done. I don't think I'd want to risk that, to be honest with you. I think I might just go full 1970s style, I think, and just grow it out if it comes to it. <laughs> Gotta take the chance. My wife said that she's been watching some videos on how to do it. I, I watched my you know, hairstylist when she's working on it, so it's like, okay, mine is kind of easy to maintain, so I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna risk it. I think I'm, I'm pretty fine, actually. I was lucky enough to get my hair cut something like two weeks before the lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to anyone who thinks, well, I mean, I can't wait for this to be over so I can get my hair cut done and all that, it's going to take you probably just as long to be able to schedule a time to get your hair done. So <laughs> if you got someone who can do it from home, just take the risk. And look at it this way. It's probably going to be this way for a few more months. So if it gets screwed up, by the time this is over, your hair will be back to its original length. The uh, the barber shop where I actually get my hair done, one of the guys is actually offering his services to actually come to your house with proper protocol, of course, with masks and yeah. stuff. But, yeah, if he's offering his services, I might have to is take him off. Is though? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that says you can't. Really? As long as proper protocol is taking place, it's not illegal interesting see we're in a lockdown so we're not even supposed to be on the road unless it's for what the, you know essential reasons whatever they deem as essential seems to change on a daily basis i mean here you are allowed to go out for one session of exercise a day they don't actually state how long that should be well how can they regulate that though but you need to stay in your area yeah. in your locality but there are, have been some idiots that have been you know getting in their car driving out to a, an area of natural beauty and um parking up and then going for a walk and you know what part of me originally would say so what you're in your car you're by yourself what does it matter but then a facebook friend of mine who lives out in los angeles posted a, a photo from just outside where she lives it was an accident at an intersection, she said that's been like the fifth accident at that same intersection in the past week. Okay, I get it now. <laughs> there was a guy on the on the local news. He was stopped by the police. He was on an A road, which is um, one of the faster roads, uh, apart from being on the motorway in the UK. And he was doing 112 miles an hour. 
and when he was stopped they asked him why he was on the road in the first place he said because he was looking for somewhere to go for a walk now why would you be doing 112 miles an hour yeah let's just do something that's going to attract the cops attention you know that, that's smart <laughs> Isn't your speed limit over there something like... It's 70, 70 on the motorway. Yeah. Uh, on the A roads, it's 60. Mm-hmm. So it's doing 112 miles an hour. It's nearly doubled. <laughs> well, you know, that that's... I mean, he's lucky he didn't kill himself or anyone else, but all other things aside, that's just karma. Not karma. No pun intended. No, karma. <laughs> Sorry. See, this is the great thing about being an introvert because you're in this lockdown state and the only thing really different for me is that I'm working from home. Otherwise, it's all pretty much the same. It's everyone talking about the um, journalists and the people on TV are actually having to do their TV shows or whatever from their house. No reason why they shouldn't. Well, hang on a minute. Podcasters have been doing that for years. <laughs> and the only reason why they don't do it from their house is because they've been told not to. I take that back. No, I mean, all the equipment and all the gear and, and so forth is at the studio. And that's fine. They certainly get more coverage because I'm sure that they have a whole bunch of other things going on. Well, you know, actually, maybe not. Who knows how they get their weather feeds? They probably can still get it at home, too. I would have thought so. I am curious. There are so many CEOs out there or CTOs or whoever who are complaining or have been complaining and moaning in the past about how we want all of our employees to come in here to work because you won't get a proper team feel if you're not here around everybody else and blah, 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 blah. Well, now all of a sudden these companies are required to let people work from home and the businesses are still running. I don't know if it's the same in Senate and, and whatever in, in the States, but in the Houses of Parliament at the moment, they've got a minimum amount of MPs actually on the benches. The rest of them are at home. Yeah. And they've been doing multiple video conferencing uh, and doing it that way. Although it was quite funny today on the on the news, I was listening tonight, and there was one guy who didn't realise he still had his microphone on when he was on this conference call, and he was bad mouthing another politician. And um, <laughs> everyone was saying, uh, "You do realise you've still got your mic on." A friend of mine who works for the uh, state of Pennsylvania actually just said the same thing happened to her this morning on a conference call. <laughs> Except this time the guy badmouthed the manager of the group. Ouch. Yeah. Oopsie. I was just joking earlier saying, you know, because even though they're at home, they're members of Parliament, so they've got to wear a suit whilst they're on the screen. I've got this image of a, a guy, because you've got the, the, the Speaker of the House who actually says who can talk at any particular time. You know, would the, the right honourable gentleman wearing the Pikachu onesie, would he mind? <laughs> okay, Gren, there, there. <laughs> There, there is some line of decorum there, I get it, but honestly, I don't see the purpose of doing that. That, to me, screams 1980s IBM mentality. Your, your skill sets are your skill sets, regardless of the cloth and you know, the, the formation of the cotton on the outside of your skin. Friends of mine work in uh, news agencies and so forth, so they'll post behind-the-scenes photos, and nine times out of ten, like the newscasters and the anchors who sit at the desk and that's all they do, they've got like shorts on underneath. Sure, they've got the shirt and the tie and so forth, but they're wearing shorts below the desk. Mm-hmm. You know? It screams um, Anchorman, the the movie. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, it's all of, all of a challenge, but I think 
the majority of us are coping as such. I mean, and, and if anybody needs help, you know, just somebody to talk to, there's there's always a friend that can be there for them, you know. Yeah. I, I know some people don't have that kind of setup, but there are outlets now that are set up for that kind of thing. So, yeah. But whilst we're on the, the subject of that, I, mean, I, I know you've been heavily involved with doing your bit for the community. That's one of those weird things because I've been making those face shields for medical personnel. Now, the, the clear plastic where you 3D print the visor, but then you purchase the, the clear plastic for the front and all of that. And there are a couple of different models out there. But the one that I'm using is from a company called Budman, and their model has actually been approved by the uh, National Institutes of Health. A classmate of mine started to mention that, and all she asked was, can you print masks on your printer? I was like, sure. And I'm thinking Iron Man, you know, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking some big superhero kind of mask or stormtrooper or something. And then my cousin, who lives in the same area as that Budman Corporation, was like, uh, John, are you interested in, in, you know, is this something that you could do? I took a look at it. I was like, yeah, I could do that. And I did some research and found out that raw materials are only about $2.50, $3 each. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, could, I could do this. And uh, by that time, I had two 3D printers because I purchased a second one, uh, you know, because things being what they are and the materials not being cheap to get started. I was like, you know, if anyone can help with donations or, or you know, material, whatever. And wow, I got so many donations from family and friends that I now have four 3D printers that are all cranking away on these visors. I don't print anything personally anymore because I can't. I, so far, I've, I've made over 500 of the visors. I have shipped 465, I think, of the complete shield sets. And I'm still in line to make 150 more. And who knows what orders might come in after that. I've just been going crazy with this, and I don't mind. That's the thing. I've, you know, my wife helps me with it. You know, we, we've got a, a bit of a rhythm now. You know, get them printed, get them upstairs on the table, and then I use foam tape on the brim part so that, you know, you don't have raw plastic against your head. That would hurt. You know, so, all right, so I do the foam tape, and my wife runs the elastic band through for support, and then we put the shields in and uh, put them all together and then bag them and then box them. we got this little production line going where stage one, stage two stage three and mm -hmm. so far i've sent them to uh, nursing care facilities in connecticut i've sent them to major hospital chains in ohio and i've sent them to medical doctors out in philadelphia philadelphia is a that's a bad spot too that's like the bad part of pennsylvania for this mm -hmm. whole epidemic um so yeah i'm just going on and i also sent some to uh nurses out in wisconsin and uh another one bought some for her daughter who is i guess she's an rn or studying to be an rn out in washington state okay you know and all i charge is cost plus shipping i'm not in this to make any money off of it granted i'll have four 3d printers by the time the whole thing is done but that's about it i won't have a chance to really use them for several more months especially if a second wave comes through which is what we're kind of fearing so are you still in need of donations? I mean, it's all going to be paid forward anyway. At this point, no. I've 
finally got so fed up with being, you know how just in time uh, manufacturing is like you get the parts just when you need them. Mm-hmm. Well, so many other people are doing this now that it's really difficult to get some of the parts. Right. Like filament prices have gone up. Uh, the plastic sheeting that I was initially using is almost impossible to find anymore. So I had to find alternate methods for that. As it stands right now, I've got enough of a surplus of funds that when things start to get low, I should be able to find far more resources before things run out. And that's really all that I'm looking for at this point. The ability to get stuff. I'm okay for now. I just received a whole ridiculous amount of uh, elastic bands. Those were really difficult to find for a while, but I just ended up with, I think we just got 600 yards of it today. And I've got another 100 yards to be here sometime middle of next month. So stuff like that, I'm good. The plastic sheeting, I think I'm okay. I've still got like 500 of the sheets left from the last round because I purchased a lot of them. You know, those will stabilize eventually. But no, I think I'm okay for now. Now, there's one thing I did want to mention, and that's some friends of ours at a charity-based skateboard park in Corby in Northamptonshire called Adrenaline Alley. Now, you might know that name because we have mentioned them and featured them in the past on the podcast. And like a lot of charities that are out there at the moment, they are really, really struggling to survive. And because of the lockdown, they are a little bit worried that by the time the lockdown is lifted, they might not be able to open their doors again. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, what has a a skateboard park got to do with anything? Well, I will play in an interview that I did with the founder of Adrenaline Alley, Mandy Young. Have a listen to this. Now, I am talking with Mandy Young, who is the founder of Adrenaline Alley. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. So, Adrenaline Alley, um, how did it all come about? It came about as a result of my son being um, undiagnosed with a brain tumour for a lot of years and he's very institutionalised in hospitals most of his life and when he came out of the hospital and had all his therapies, he started skateboarding and unfortunately became a target for some local youths who beat him up one night. As a result of that, John wouldn't go out of the house and obviously was really frightened. Um, and I said, look, we've been through one hell, we're not going through another. So I said, right, come on, let's get all these boys together. Let's see where you need to do or to go to have a safe place where you can do your sports without feeling intimidated or bullied or, or beaten up um, in your own community. I'm a Corby girl born and bred and I didn't even know this stuff was going on. So that's how it all started. And and since then, you know, we've become the world's biggest. You say the world's biggest. Now, tell us a little bit more about what that actually means, what the size of the place. Yeah, we have three buildings um, and over 120,000 feet of ramps, which makes us the world's biggest to have everything in one place. We have indoor and outdoor, so we have complementary parks within the facility that are for beginner to elite level, basically, which, you know, makes us pretty unique. 
pretty unique. And we also do a lot of other stuff. It's not just about the riding. You know, I always say to people, this isn't just a skate park. We do a lot of um, outreach work for community groups, school groups, disability groups. We've got the new VR experience that we're using to help people get engaged in the sport so they can get a, a feel for what the sports are about if they've never done it before or if they want to try to get into the sport how does it feel what does it look like you know how am I going to feel so we developed that for that purpose and then we've also got um, like a phot photography studio we have an education room so we do a lot of outreach work it's, it's you know we are a charity and we have a social mission um, and we make sure that that social mission lies at the heart of the charity Wow so WCMX it's, it's um, a fairly new sport um, so it was probably pretty important for you to embrace that into what you do here. Absolutely. Um, my son John, having experienced a time in a wheelchair, he said to me, Mum, whatever you do, whatever happens, you've got to make sure that there's no barriers to participation here and that wheelchair-bound people can actually, you know, come in here and be part of everyday life. And that's what we're trying to do. You know, we, we've adapted the park as we've built it for disability users, but of course it's difficult because there are, there are so many different levels. Whether you're in a wheelchair or not, mm -hmm. that is the case whether they're on a board or a bike. So it's understanding really from today's event, you know, what the demand is and understanding what these kids want. So, you know, do they want more sessions in the future? Can we do that? You know, can we get this organ run it up and running as a UK organization that can help these kids to develop in the future with the right chairs? Um, we've got Roma Sport who's developing the chairs for this sport. And I, I just think, you know, there's so much potential. So today is the start of hopefully really good things to come. So this could be the spark of WCMX as a, an entity in this country. Absolutely. Why not? Excellent. Why not? Well, Mandy, it's been a pleasure talking with you. You're welcome. That's basically what Adrenaline Alley is all about, bringing the community together. There is a crowdfunder page set up. I will put the details about it on the show notes. They're trying to raise £25,000. At the moment, their total stands at £4,715. So the cutoff date for this is the 21st of May. So they've still got quite a bit of time to do it and hopefully they can get the funding. Hope so. Speaking of funding, something else that people can do to help their local businesses. I'm not worried so much about the chains. The chains aren't going to go anywhere, really. But uh, local businesses that might be hurting right now because not as many customers and so forth, if they sell gift certificates you know, or their own kind of gift cards, buy them now. That way they're getting their money now and then just mm -hmm. use them to spend later when this whole mess is over. Breweries up and down the country are, are doing a similar thing where you can book meals and things you know because a lot of pubs have got restaurants built onto the side of them and that kind mm -hmm. of thing so that when this is finally over you can go in and have a nice meal out a lot of these local pubs might not be able to open again so they've, they've yeah. got to find some way of making this money and i i think as a community if we get behind as you say local businesses we can do this mm -hmm. chains aren't going to go anywhere They'll, they'll be here one way or another. There are a lot of businesses that have already said, we're done, we can't open, we can't survive through this. Yeah. So those that are still struggling, help them out however you can. Definitely. Right, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, as promised, John is going to take us through his time at uh, PAX East this year. 
My name is Tim Peake, and I'm a British astronaut. All right, gentlemen, looking great. Glad to see you both out there on the tip of the world. In 2015, I flew to the International Space Station. I spent six months living in space. Great news, thanks, Tim. Since then, our life on Earth has recently changed dramatically. Much of the world's population is currently under some form of lockdown. And today, I've been isolating at home like everybody else. But unlike everybody else, I've done this once before, up in space. I learned an awful lot from that experience, and it's one that I've been sharing with my family. This is my wife, Rebecca. Hi. We have two sons, 11 and 8 years old, and a nine-month-old puppy called Woody. I think some of the main points I learnt on board the space station that have really helped is structure and routine. And we put in place a structure very early on so that the boys knew, OK, we get up, we do our fitness with Joe Wicks in the morning. Good morning. It's 9 o'clock. This is the Peak family, and we're about to start our day with some exercise. Having that schedule so that everybody knows what's happening that day, it really helps to manage expectations. Wow, you're up in space. It's incredible. But you can't live for six months overwhelmed by that experience. You have to make it normal. So very quickly, your daily routine becomes get up, have a cup of tea, bacon sandwich, and crack on. That smell of warm bacon is just unmistakable. It's probably one of the nicest things to wake up to. And it evokes really strong memories of good Sunday morning fry-up breakfast with friends and family. OK, time for the taste test. How are they, Oliver? Really, really good. <laughs> Excellent. We don't actually use loo rolls in space. We use wet wipes and you get one wet wipe, you know, for, for one visit to the loo. So we we try and be very efficient in uh, everything we use in, in space. We will have to shop at some point for a few more rolls, but we've probably got enough to last us a week. <laughs> On the space station, you're in this wonderful environment, really, where you can ring absolutely anybody around the world at any time, but nobody can call you. And once a week on a Sunday, I was able to have a video call with the family. How are you doing, hon? The boys would save things to show Tim, whether it was some Lego work that they had been building. Am I the right way up? Yes, you are the right way up. And of course now so many of us are communicating via you know, Skype or FaceTime. Hey. Hi Mum and Dad. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to you. And I think everybody is benefiting from that right now to be able to feel connected and feel that they can still keep these relationships going whilst being isolated. Goodbye Grandma and Grandpa. We don't really worry about our looks in space that much, so hair cutting would be once every two weeks we just get the clippers out. Um, you have to attach the clippers to the vacuum cleaner, otherwise the hair is just going to go everywhere. But we're in isolation, the hair is, is getting long, so um, I think we're going to have to embrace hair cutting fairly soon. And one of our boys is definitely due a haircut, which he's fighting at the moment, but that's going to have to happen in the next week or two. <laughs> Having lighter moments, so important. And in fact, you know, I was lucky to have crew members who had an equally good sense of humor as myself. We try and make sure that we have lighter moments in the house, but you've got to make time for, for some fun. <laughs>
If ever you need to raise your morale on board the space station, there was one surefire way of doing that, and that was just to look outside the hatch and to just put things back into perspective. It's important to try and maintain that perspective, the bigger picture, and for everybody who's isolating, you know, keep reminding ourselves, why are we doing this? It's so that we can get over this and get back to, um, you know, a new way of life as quickly as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, this is TGP Nominal. Shall we play a game? PAX East, um, I, I know we mention it every year when you go to an event, but there might be some people there that don't know what it is. It is the largest video game convention east of the Mississippi. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Obviously, we're not as big as some in Europe. I guess Gamescom is the one that's normally over in Germany. That's, yeah, that's quite big. That's big. That's a big one. But for the U.S., PAX East is the biggest on the eastern half of the U.S. So that takes place in Boston. It's kind of weird because this one was in the end of February. Although, in retrospect, now I'm really glad that it took place at the end of February because (laughs) we got just in under the wire of everything being canceled. Because now E3's been canceled and um, South by Southwest has been canceled. They've called off San Diego Comic-Con. Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all if PAX West is going to get canceled, because that's supposed to be in early September. So that... Uh, debatable, but I would bet that that's going to get closed down, too. Yeah. We were able to get in there just in time, and I, there were a few confirmed cases in Boston at the time. But, I mean, honestly, if, if one of those was confirmed at PAX East... Every single one of us who attended would have been notified. So I don't think that's an issue. It was weird, though, because Sony backed out. Microsoft backed out. Ubisoft wasn't there. Bethesda was kind of. They were only there for two days, and it wasn't at PAX proper. It was at the hotel that's connected to it. So it's still kind of weird to not see Bethesda there. But the plus side to that is, well, they were able to have a little bit more floor space. And there were no empty spots. I guess what they'll do is, and I've interviewed studios that this has happened to before, where they'll get called by the the PAX organizers a week beforehand saying, hey, we got a spot here. Could you guys be out here in a week? And they can do it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened to a lot of the smaller studios this year. And yeah, it's a plus and minus, but I know that there were some big AAA game titles that people were looking forward to. And it was kind of weird to not have some of the big names there. But do you think it was they'd heard rumors about what was going on and it was like, maybe we should stay away? I think it was more because Japan had already had several confirmed cases by that time. Because Sony only backed out a week beforehand. So I think they were worried about, well, we don't want to give it to Boston. Mm-hmm. Microsoft, I think they're primarily up in the Seattle area. Seattle also got hit hard. So it was probably the same kind of thing with them as well. Ubisoft, who knows? And maybe they weren't scheduled to be there in the first place. I don't know. It was just kind of weird to not see them there. It's hard to tell. I think it was more not that they were afraid of getting it, but that they were afraid of giving it. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, if that's the case, you can't blame them. It still was kind of weird. So your experience, what was that like this year? Well, not a whole lot different than previous years. You know, PAX is PAX. You you go to the conferences that you want to go to and you, you check out all the games that you want to go to. For me, it wasn't a huge difference. I know that for my daughter and her friend, they wanted to get to the Nintendo booth. Nintendo was the big one this year uh, because of the new Animal Crossing game. That line was capped 
so quickly after the doors opened. For the rest of it, it wasn't really all that bad. It was pretty easy to be able to go get to play the games that you want. I guess Final Fantasy VII, the remake for that, that was busy. And I did manage to get into that one just because. <laughs> I've never played a Final Fantasy game before, but I thought, eh, why not? Give it a shot. Damn, there's one thing I've actually done that you haven't. Yeah, I've never <laughs> played a Final Fantasy game. Well, they're JRPGs. I'm not big on JRPGs. They're turn-based when it comes to the combat. Not really big on that. But this one was basically a third-person shooter more than anything else. This was not turn-based whatsoever. I watched it the first day, just watching people play it. I was like, yeah, that actually doesn't look too bad. Obviously, Warframe, third-person action shooter. And it looks like they remade Final Fantasy VII to basically be a third-person action shooter. So I decided to give that a shot, and on the second day I got in there. We get in there early anyway. So I got in line, and basically the way they did it was they had these slips that said, be in line at this time, and we'll let you in. In like the first hour, those slips are gone. So you have to get those slips early in the day to be able to play at any point during the day. And I managed to get one, and I didn't mind it. I doubt I'd buy it. It wasn't enough to make me want to do that. Plus, I know that there's a bad thing that happens in the game because anybody who knows what that one scene is, they left that in. I don't know that I want to see that. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, it was fun. It wasn't too bad. It was definitely more along the kind of game that I would play as opposed to standard JRPG. Well, you know I always hang around in the uh, the indie aisle anyway. Mm -hmm. Not the aisle. Well, I don't want to say aisle. The indie section is a huge section, and it seems to grow every year. So they're not going to argue with that. That's a good thing. Uh, I don't do much of the board games, card games. Those don't, eh. You know, I'm impressed by the, the quality of them. You know, especially a lot of the pieces that they have now are amazing quality. And I always drool at the uh, tabletop table makers. Yeah. You know, because they got the drawers for all the boards and for all the pieces and things like that. So, man, I wish I could build that. I don't even want one, but I want one. You know what I mean? <laughs> do, do you know there's a, a Wolfenstein board game oh, now? This does not surprise me whatsoever. If there's something <laughs> that can be converted into a board game, someone will do it. Yeah, it does look quite impressive as well. It's very, um, obviously, it's the kind of Dungeons and Dragons looking kind of thing with all the doorways and mm -hmm. everything else. And I thought, oh, that looks quite impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the way some of those tables are, they look, and the, the functionality they've got, those things cost thousands of dollars, but you know damn well that stuff's handmade, and it's worth every penny for those who play those games. Ross Hockham is uh, very big into his tabletop games. Yeah, no, but I mean, I, I stuck mostly in the indie section, and you know, it was fun, but I think... See, I don't want to say this, because every time I do, somebody does something to prove me wrong, which... Actually, might not be a bad thing when you think about it. Hey, if I'm the trigger for change, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's, it's like we always feel like there's so many games out there that are variations on a theme. You know, oh, look, there's another retro 2D platformer. Oh, look, there's another retro 2D platformer. Oh, look, another visual novel. Oh, another visual novel. Oh, another blood guts horror game. Oh, another blood guts horror game that's a 2D platformer that's also a visual novel. You know, it's... That sort of thing. Ever since Minecraft came back, there have been a lot of games that use voxels. So it's kind of hard to wade through all the voxel games that are coming out, too. It's, it's kind of hard to differentiate, which does make it difficult to decide what games you do and don't want to play. But, you know, at the same time, then again, you'll see something completely new and something you'd never really thought of. 
it's good to see these people out there. The, a lot of those devs that are there, they're the people who are actually owning the company or, you know, it's only two or three devs who are making the game and they're right there. So they're there not only to show their game off, but they're there to get feedback too. You know, what can we do to improve this game? What do you like? What don't you like? And you don't get that from the triple A's. No, and and you do get appreciated more when you when you visit them because you can hear their gratitude when you say, "Oh, well, I've played the game or I've got the game," and they're going, "You know, thank you for your support." There was a studio there where I've played other games that they've released, and they aren't necessarily popular ones, but they're ones that I saw, played, enjoyed. And you say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've actually I played this game," and their eyes light up. It's like, "Oh wow, you, you played that? What did you think of it?" You know that sort of thing. Because you know games that aren't too popular, they kind of end up getting buried a little bit. But then all of a sudden, here comes someone, and they've played it. You know they appreciate that. Whereas, you know, not saying that the folks at Ubisoft and so forth wouldn't appreciate that you played their latest Assassin's Creed, but it's not the same. Right. So you did your roving reports a bit. And uh, I did. You, you, you took your Zoom recorder with you, and uh, you managed to get a few interviews while you were there. I got some really good ones too. There, there were clearly guys there. They simply were happy that you were talking to them, and they were just going on. It's like, hey, go ahead, let the interview conduct itself. I am cool with that. <laughs> so, who did you speak to? Probably the first one that blew my mind. It wasn't a game developer. It was like representing a group of developers and they were all based in Boston and I already have some of their games but what blew my mind about this one because this is one of the most brilliant marketing schemes I have seen at PAX they made their games available on five and a quarter inch floppy disks <laughs> I saw that I was like what you gotta be kidding me now it's not that there was anything actually encoded on the disk obviously who has a five and a quarter inch floppy drive anymore <laughs> but you know you, you buy the floppy disk and on the back is a Steam code for the game that you bought. And to me, that was brilliant. Totally eye-catching, especially for old farts like me, you know, who all my games used to be played on five and a quarter inch floppy. So to see that, I was like, oh, that is so cool. And then see all these indie games are being represented, some of which I knew of, some of which I had. I was like, that is actually really cool. So I had to talk to that guy. And uh, I spoke with Alex Engel of the Boston Game Dev community. And, uh, well... Roll that beautiful bean footage. So my name is Alex Engel. I'm um, an organizer of the Boston Game Dev community. I'm on the board for the uh, Boston Postmortem, which is our local chapter of the International Game Developers Association. I also worked in the video game industry for about 12 years at companies like uh, CCP Games, Turbine, uh, Warner Brothers, and Disruptor Beam. I currently am outside of the game industry, but I try to give back and, and help run events like this. And right. I still make indie games in my spare time and I'm involved in the game dev community. So this is all indie games for developers that are in the Boston area? Correct. Yeah, so we Boston has a huge um, history of making video games ever since uh, Space War. Uh, and then the first commercial games were when Infocom started up in 1980, right? Is so Infocom they, a Boston? It is. Really? Yeah, Infocom was based, yeah. it was based in Cambridge, Mass. Um, and they went ahead and they, they launched Zork, and then oh, yeah. the rest Zork is history. and Leather Goddess of Phobos and all those. See, oh, yeah, yeah. My, my friend Steve Moretzky made that one. Um, nice. Yeah, so Steve built, I mean, he made a ton of different games. He did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and yes. everything. 
But um, yeah, Infocom kicked off a lot of the stuff. There's been um, you know, several dozen studios in the area. Boston collectively has put out maybe 250 commercial titles wow. uh, over the years. And then there's a, a huge indie and student community. There are really big, really good programs in New England in general and then in Massachusetts as well. So over the last year, we've been trying to put together a, a community brand for Boston video games and uh, and mass produced, which is our like kind of tagline. And this time at PAX, we're trying to get together and just increase our visibility of all the games that are being made in Boston. Right. And, you know, we've got everything from massive hits like um, Kind Words and Emily is Away to indie uh, fun ones like um, uh, A Reckless Disregard for Gravity or uh, Drunken Robot Pornography and stuff like that. Oh, A Reckless Disregard for Gravity. That is, that's a fun one. And Cher had a good time making that. We also have other games here at PAX. So we have uh, Gwen Frey with her game Kind. She started a studio and built a game here. It's got really good reception. It was one of the launch titles for Stadia. Um, We have the Molasses Flood guys showing off their new game Drake Hollow. Drunken Robot Pornography. I have that one. Drunken Robot Pornography is a lot of fun. Uh, Elegy for the Dead World I backed on Kickstarter. Um, Monster Loves You. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see that one. And then we have Albino Lullaby. My buddy Jack did a lot of work for that. Um, It's basically like these are all of our games that we're trying to get together and just promote, right? And everything that we sell here at the show goes back to supporting, you know, helping us put together events like this and supporting uh, and raising the profile of Boston game developers in the greater area. A lot of people don't realize there's so much Boston game development going on here. Well, I know that I see the uh, Boston Fig. Yeah, Boston Fig. I'm on their mailing list. Yep, Caroline puts that together every year. Um, We've helped out at that. We've had this booth at Boston Fig. Really happy when that started going on. And in general, like, it's, it's great to see it try to raise, again, the profile of Boston game devs. You know, a lot of people think Seattle and L.A. and San Francisco and Austin. Right, right. But Boston's also a, a big game dev community and, and a place that uh, we've been happy to call home for, you know, for me for 14 years now. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. This is crazy, though. I mean, obviously this is an audio thing, but they have a bunch of five and a quarter inch floppy disks here. Explain that one. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of us uh, that are now in our 30s and 40s are coming together. I mean, personally, I remember loading up Dark Forces and MechWarrior 2 yep. on my computer and, and needing to claw back the 1.5 megabytes of memory that Windows took so yeah. I could run it through DOS or a boot disk. Yep. Um, those are the kind of things that you know stick with your brain. Whenever you were a little kid, you tend to like idolize, remember, and think about all that stuff. For us, the idea of physically having an item, you know, regardless of whether that item is a um, is a disc or a box or a manual, it's just a way for, to feel like a connection to something that's inherently digital, right? right. Well, that's, you see that also because cassette sales are rising, record sales are rising. Right. 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 People, as much as we love the right. streaming and the, the ease of use of that, there's something to say about having yeah. something in your hand. One of the games that I made that unfortunately no longer exists was called Game of Thrones Ascent. It was the first licensed video game that HBO did for Game of Thrones. We built it here in in Boston. I worked closely with a couple other people to build a art book for that game. And uh, getting that art book put together, published, printed, and in everyone's hands, I knew it was going to mean more to us later on because when our game finally sunset and now there's no way to play it, it's really one of the only ways to feel a connection to this thing that you spent years 
years of your life, right? You know, develop. Why is there no way to play it? It's an online, online only, only game, okay. and you know, eventually the cost of running it or the sure. license terms run out. Right. But at the end of the day, there's just no way to, to play it right now. So yeah, I understand that. Yeah, it's a floppy. It's rough. <laughs> but yeah, so we love having a connection to the to the physical, right? So you know, if you come here and you love what Kyle's doing with uh, Emily is away then you can go ahead and pick up Emily is Away 2 for five bucks. You right. know, and on the back is a Steam code, but uh, but it's just a lot of fun to have these. People love it. The attendees love it. Right. Well, I'm from the Commodore 64 days, so I'm oh, very familiar. Oh, I have familiar. a Commodore 64 in my attic. Yeah, that, I, yeah. I, I, re I think I spent six months on my paper route nice. to buy a brand new Commodore 64, yep. 1701 monitor, nice. and 1541 floppy drive. Yep. I was at a estate sale, and uh, they, I saw they had a whole bunch of uh, derelict electronics in a box in the back. And I was like, we should go, just check it out. And in that box was a full Commodore 64 nice. setup. Everything, keyboard, disk drive. All work? You know, all, well. Well, a little bit of repair here and there. There's some repair I've done. There's a couple uh, cords I had to replace. And right now I'm looking for uh, the correct monitor for it. But as far as I can tell, it boots up. The disks right. boot up. It came with like 100 disks, so... You know, as far as I can tell, it's working. When I hook it up to my monitor, my hope is it works. I already have like three Ataris upstairs <laughs> and all that stuff, so we'll figure it out. We'll That's figure it out. So whose idea was it for the cassette and the floppy drive? Chris is I doing, yeah. yeah. Your, your name is? My name's Chris Mayer. I'm a local indie developer and community organizer. Uh, so I've been running this at kind of non-games events. I've been going out to like flea markets and street fairs right. and art fairs and that kind of stuff. I'm just kind of trying to like raise the profile of local games. Uh, I was kind of uh, just a, a little disappointed, I guess. You know, when you get out there and you see people selling prints or selling their own music or selling you know, comics and zines and that kind of stuff, and you see every art form imaginable, but there's no games, right? right. Uh, so I just thought it was, it was ridiculous, right? Let's get out there. Let's get these games out there. Let's like tell people that we're out, yeah, out here in Boston. The cost of like going to people like limited run games, yeah, and things like yeah. That. That's that's the other thing is I really tried to do this as a very like DIY effort. Like this is something that I could do. This is something that anybody in the country could do you right. know, for their own local scene uh, if they wanted to get out there and promote you know games in you know, Austin or Seattle or New York. Where, like whatever city, if you have a scene, if you have people who are interested in helping promote it, uh, you know, you can put this together you know, pretty easily if you wanted to. Where did like, you get the floppy disk? You can buy them on eBay, you know. Really? There's a, there's a, I forget what his name is, but he's like the floppy guy or something, right? <laughs> I think I've, I've probably bought about 600 floppy disks from this guy. So I, I imagine he has like, you know, a house just full, you know, yeah. packed solid with floppy disks. And then the cassettes. Well, the cassettes I get. Yeah, the, the cassettes are very kind of in the, in the mood of the game. It's yeah. A, like the, the lo-fi beats thing. Oh yeah, lo-fi chill beats to write to. Plus the other motivation behind the, the floppy disks is they're super cheap. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean yeah. like the, the cassettes I don't think were that expensive, but these end up being about fifty cents each or something. Right. It's well, really fairness, easy to produce. In fairness, I saw the floppy disk and was like, you've gotta be kidding. I gotta find out about it. That's the other this. thing, it pulls people right in. It does. And it, you know, e either because they're like, wow, I haven't seen one of those in twenty years, or because they they're like, I've never seen one of these in my life, right? <laughs> always makes me a little sad, but that I guess that's that's where I'm at now. It's <laughs> a thirty year old. That if we do I'm a lot older than you, so <laughs> That is amazing. So, I mean, are these actually available for people online too if they want? Can you ship these or? Uh, no. No? I mean, I, I guess I could in I think, theory. I don't really yeah. have the, the infrastructure for it. Um, I, I honestly never even considered shipping them to people. I mean, again, because this is really focused on sure. being a local, a local effort. Sure. 
That's funny. I also got a couple I, you of know, I, I work as a, a programmer. This isn't like my, my job, sure. right? So I don't really want to be spending six hours a day running to the post office and mailing stuff. But, okay. You know, if someone really wanted to and, and you know, if someone believed in the cause of Boston Games, I would probably be down to ship them a couple go. copies. Although you never know. You never know. I mean, our podcast is around the world and uh, we... we uh, my co-host is also an old-timer like me. You never know. You might want to consider that. You know, for five bucks, throw a disc in an envelope with a piece of cardboard. You never know. Just, you know, just putting the thought out I, there. I have kind of been looking for ways to do do more kind of community organizing stuff full-time. Right. Uh, just because I, I feel like the community needs, needs it to some extent. Like, it, it's right. a lot of work to get out there and do promotion and organize events. Uh, and I'd love to be doing it full-time, but I don't, I don't know what the path is to doing that. So, right. yeah, maybe if I had an online store or something, that would be a way to make that happen. Uh, but just doing this at flea markets or whatever is, right. is we're kind of breaking even, and that's that's fine. The <laughs> idea is really just to get the word out. That's great. So if people want to find out more about uh, Boston Video Games and so forth, where do they go? Uh, BostonVideoGames.com is a yeah. website we just set up. It has a really cool timeline of Boston games, kind of starting in the uh, I think like the 70s with like Zork and the, the early interactive fiction and that kind of stuff. Uh, and if anyone's like a local developer is interested in getting into the community, there's also BostonGameDev.com uh, that has a kind of calendar of uh, you know what, what meetups and uh, other events are kind of coming up. Nothing quite like walking past a table and seeing a bunch of cassettes and floppy disks here in the, you know, 2020. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even just getting a couple of them just for nostalgia reason would be. There's a company called IM8Bit, and they're always at PAX East, too. They have this whole niche market. They sell video game soundtracks on vinyl. And it's always, you know, crazy colored vinyl with different patterns or solid colors or whatever. And they sell. There's just something about it. And I understand it because, yes, digital and streaming, it's all convenient. But there's something about the tangibility of having it in your hands that, that changes the game. Well, I'm sure you've heard of the video game Cuphead. Yeah. And beautiful, beautiful, like, 1920s Max Fleischer-style animation. The art design on this is gorgeous. But they had a fully orchestrated 1920s jazz soundtrack. It originally came on four LPs. Yours now on four LPs, two cassettes, or two CDs. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I, I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> but uh, I think it was 180 gram LPs, and the labels looked like 1920 labels. The, the booklet and so forth looked like it was worn from 1920s and so forth. 100 bucks, but sold out so fast, and so many people wanted them they came out with the special, more condensed two-record version. Wow. So people still want them. And you were talking about the the Commodore sixty four. Well, you, you knew. Uh, well, you know, I grew up with the with the ZX Spectrum. Yep. And in two thousand and eighteen, a crowdfunding thing happened where uh, somebody had come up with an idea for a next generation Spectrum, and they got funding. And it's taken three years. <laughs> for this computer to come out. It's called the Spectrum Next, the ZX Spectrum Next. Now, the original Spectrum, originally uh, it was a 16K version, then there was a 48K version, and then there was a 128K version. And it only had eight colors. <laughs> yep. Now, this new version has got one meg. <laughs> okay. Doesn't sound a lot, but it does when you're thinking it was only 48K, 128K. So it's one meg 
with 254 colours <laughs> and it's got accelerated speeds on it so you can play the games quicker than they uh, than the original games were there is a new generation of well what they call coders these days making games for the this new spectrum whereas the old-fashioned spectrum you had um, a cassette player to play the games on this new one has got an SD card slot on the side it's got HDMI ability on it it's got Wi-Fi if you get the accelerated or the plus version it's an amazing piece of kit and the styling of it is traditional Sinclair styling I missed out on it on the first run they are thinking of doing another run of them or you can just buy the motherboards and stuff for it and if you can find an old 1980s Spectrum case, the motherboard fits inside the original Spectrum. Oh, and there's also slots inside to put in a Raspberry Pi, so you can boost it up even more. It's got a new kind of coding system in it. It's based around the old Sinclair Basic, but it's more advanced. The options inside to actually start producing your own games and stuff for it, it's just a massive throwback to the original bedroom programmers. <laughs> I'm wondering if you your spectrum that you keep talking about, if that's the same as for a brief time over here, we had the Timex Sinclair. But I'm just wondering if it w- are they the same thing? It's just the US brand? The Timex Sinclair was made by the same company. Yeah. The 48K Spectrum was brought out because the BBC were going to do this computing TV show and they wanted a computer for it. And there was a lot of computer companies that were putting their tenders in for... <laughs> if you were working with the BBC, there's big money coming in. Yeah. <laughs> and Sinclair lost out to a company called Acorn Computers. Sounds and familiar. it was an amazing time for British computing. There's a lot of computer wars going on at that time. So Sinclair then decided, right, let's just do this for the home market he did package it for kids to do their homework with and all that kind of stuff and and programs and software that were to teach you to do different things but most of the kids went nah don't want any of that give me some games (laughs) I can associate I get it if you go on YouTube and look up one of these drama documentary things called Micro Men it tells you the history and the wars that went on between the different companies in the UK during that time it's a really good uh, Martin Freeman's in it Oh, nice. And he he plays the CEO of uh, Acorn Computers. There's another guy called Alexander Armstrong who plays in in this thing, Sir Clive Sinclair, the guy who invented the Spectrum computer. Alexander Armstrong is the guy who does the voice for Danger Mouse in the new... On the new one. Nice. I enjoyed it. It's a really good documentary, uh, drama documentary, and I didn't realise how there was much tension between these companies at that time. I'm kind of jealous of you guys right now because the Commodore 64 is still huge over in Europe. Not so much over here anymore. It's pretty much relegated to, you know, old people like us who, who love the retro stuff. But you guys have that new full-sized Commodore 64, although it's obviously running on something more like a Raspberry Pi. Not available in the States yet. Yes, they're saying, we're trying, we're trying, but yeah. I don't know how much I would actually play it, you know, especially when emulators are out there, but I'm probably going to have to jump on that. (laughs) Who was next on your list? 
One of the things that I love about my Plex server is that, you know, any discs that I buy, yes, I still buy discs. I rip them and put them on my Plex server, put the disc away on the shelf, and I can watch that movie from wherever. And there aren't too many options to do that with your games. Which, you know, if you're traveling and you've got the bandwidth and you want to play a game, like if, if you've got a crappy old laptop, oh, you heard the story on that one, didn't you? Oh, yeah, your laptop fried whilst you were away, didn't it? Dude, I was typing on it. I was talking to my wife, I mean, on the phone, but I'm just typing away on my laptop, all of a sudden, boop, turned off. I don't mean shut down. I mean turned off. I'm, what, what, no power, no lights. Nothing completely dead on my first night up at PAX. Wow. <laughs> like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I wanted a gaming laptop, but on my own terms, that was not my own terms. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, hmm, what can you do? But yeah, so I mean, my old laptop was, it was okay, but it had gotten to the point where it couldn't play modern games, even if you cranked the resolution and so forth down to really low levels. Don't get me wrong, it was seven years old, and I used it almost a daily basis, so I got a lot of use out of that thing. I'm not complaining about that. But, you know, I couldn't really play the games that I'd want to play. I couldn't even play Warframe anymore, and they pride themselves on being able to run on older hardware as well as newer stuff. And it, this was beyond their reach now. A lot of people have that too. Maybe they've got a Chromebook, but they've got a Steam library on another PC somewhere that they want to be able to play their games. And I know the PlayStation has had this for a while. I can't remember the name of the, the function. But if you've got a PS4 and it's turned on and it's ready to go, and you've got the games installed on it, whatever, you can fire up this app on your PC and it'll go out to your PlayStation and say, hey, I want to play the games that are on you, and you can play your games remotely. Wow. It, yeah, it's actually a pretty cool function. I know Steam was working on that. I think they do have it, but there's another company out there called Rainway that's basically trying to do the same thing, except uh, they're not just restricted to Steam, and it's a way to play your games remotely from wherever you're at, you know, as long as the machine that the games are on is up and running and you can communicate with it and everything's ready to rock and roll, then Rainway will help you to be able to play your games from wherever you're at. So in this case, I was talking to Andrew Sampson, who is the CEO of Rainway. Again, one of the nice things about going to PAX for these smaller sections, you can talk to the people who are the actual officers of the studio or the company. So in this case, it was Andrew Sampson from Rainway, and well, I'll just let him talk about it. I'm at the Rainway booth, and I am with... Andrew Sampson, CEO of Rainway. CEO? Well, okay then. So, what is Rainway? Rainway is a gaming service that lets you take all the different games you own from services like Steam or Origin or Uplay, um, and then you can play those games on your iOS device, your Android device, your Xbox One, um, through a web browser. Uh, limitless possibilities on where you can play your games now. So this is a PC streaming? Yes. But not console streaming yet? Not, not right. console streaming, okay. yeah. So, okay, then what's needed to do this? Uh, all you need to do is install Rainway on your PC at home, and then you hold your phone up to your screen, and you're good to go. You hold your phone up to your screen? Yeah, it, it, you scan the code that appears, and then you can play all your PC games on your phone or whatever device you want to play on. Ah, okay. And that works anywhere? Anywhere, yeah. Play, play anytime, anywhere. Okay, well, I mean, that's... So you got uh, some iPads, you got some, some uh, Android phones. Xbox One's over there. 
house, you actually, you can play your PC games on, on your, your Xbox, Xbox One. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That's right, you know, for me, I love PC gaming, but I love the comfort of gaming on the couch. And, That's uh, true. That's and then, true. yeah, in the next month, we'll be investing a lot into, like, bringing PC gaming to as many living rooms as possible. Okay. Well, um, does it have, can it handle things like, um, like local co-op? So local cop is a feature that you'll see appear on our like living room apps. So okay. starting with the Xbox One. Okay, that's yeah. But we also like have it even better. We're building a feature called Party, where you can invite people over the internet to come play games with you. So if you're playing something like Cuphead uh, and you want your friend to come play it, and they're just like sitting in front of their TV on their Xbox, shoot them an invite link through Rainway, and they can jump right into the game with you immediately. Oh wow! Yeah. That's really so, cool. It all still just runs on your PC. Yeah, it's still streaming for them, but we're now making any game cross-platform or multiplayer. That's cool. Uh, can you do things like, well, my, my gaming PC is at home. Yeah. I've got a crappy laptop with me here. I can stream games. Stream games from your PC to your crappy laptop. Nice. Yeah. And what, and what you don't even need to download anything on your crappy laptop because oh, really? like, it probably doesn't even have like a lot of space left. So just Google Chrome and you're good. So it all goes through Chrome. Yeah. Or Firefox. Wow. Okay. That's that's very cool. But now what's the catch? Uh, well, you have to give us your soul in about a year. <laughs> uh, no, Rainway's base service will remain free. We're going to focus on building out a really great con like community around the product. Uh, and then, you know, in about maybe a couple of months, you'll see us release freemium features. Okay, so is it a subscription fee or? Right now, it's completely free, but okay. you, you'll see a monthly subscription come down the line. For But the base product will still remain free so that you can always play your games no matter what. Okay, so what kind of freemium things? Things like 4K streaming, oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, the ability to like add, invite more friends to come play with you. So uh, there are things that are additive to the user experience, but they, they're not blocking you from having a good time. So then the only real requirement is some kind of client on uh, your main PC? Uh, yeah, all you have to do is install the Rainway dashboard. Um, you install that on your Windows 10 like PC and you're gonna go. And it finds all your games conveniently. It has a local game launcher too. So if you have like a thousand games installed on your computer, Rainway lets you launch and manage them all from one place on your well, PC nice. too. I mean, Steam, Origin, Uplay, yeah. GOG. You deserve oh, oh. you deserve better. You deserve better than twelve different launchers. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's that's people are like oh Epic Game Store is like oh yeah. come on yeah. another launcher really. So we put them all in one place and then we're uh, working on some things to make managing those launchers even better. Very cool. So if people want more information on this, where do they go? Rainway.com. Simple enough? Right, yes. That's cool. Where are you guys based out of? Uh, Seattle. Yeah. And the, the name we happened to get before we moved there. So it's a coincidence <laughs> that rains in our <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, thanks for talking thank with us. Thank you for your time. Yep. And uh, good luck with this. Yeah, thank you. This looks like a cool service. Obviously, Google Stadia, they're putting in a lot of money and effort into this. So... But the benefit to this would be... If Google wants to continue to invest billions of dollars into making Chrome better, right. I'm, I'm okay with it. It helps us. Uh, <laughs> but for us, like, Stadia is not a competitor. You know, who's their market? They're, they're trying to target people that uh, already have a PC or already have a gaming console, and then you have to rebuy the games anyway. Yeah, so it's like, it's like, eh, it's not Netflix, yeah. right? Um, so I think services like xCloud are a lot more interesting because they have content. It's a monthly subscription, and it's going to, like, integrate into Game Pass. Right. But still, those services don't 
compete with us because you know we target PC gamers. Right. And Steam already has this kind of thing built into their client, but you do more than Steam. Yeah, we, we're on more platforms. We support everything. We're agnostic, um, and that's really our, our our biggest competitive advantage. And what allows us to be in more places is that we don't sell games, and so that's you know other storefronts are like don't feel threatened by us. Right. And we just spend you know users spend hours upon hours inside of our app, but now they do it on those platforms. Okay. Sounds good. All right. The other really good thing about this is, well, well, Stadia's big problem, and they kind of ran into this. I can't believe they didn't see this beforehand, but then suddenly the reality struck. A lot of people, even here in the States, millions of households still have bandwidth caps, and they're finding that, you know, streaming their games from Stadia at 4K, they were, people were running into their bandwidth caps really fast. I mean, with this function, you don't have that, because especially if you're already in your own house, it's on a PC that's already on your local LAN, so you can play your games anywhere in your house without bandwidth caps because you're not using the internet. Yeah, and in this climate, I think they're going to do quite well with this. <laughs> well, yeah, especially now, yeah. But even if it's simply that you want to play your game, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, but you want to play a game, but you want to get ready to go to bed. So you want to lay down, you know, at least lay in bed and, and maybe play a little bit of it. Assuming that you don't succumb to the one more level, just one more level. No, one more level. I, we just do one more level, you know. <laughs> There's always that as a negative, but you don't have to be down at your computer. One friend of mine said, oh, that's cool, because then all I have to do is put my computer away in some corner of the house where I don't have to worry about it, and I can play my games from anywhere. And that's exactly what this will allow you to do. Who was next on your list? Oh, man. You know what? I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. <laughs> Because, you know, as someone from America, I have a real problem with certain European names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, I, the, even the name of the game is pronounced incorrectly in traditional American and, and English and so forth. Yeah. <laughs> it's spelled F-U-G-L. We'll put it that way. It, it's been on Steam for a while, actually. And I'm kind of surprised that they were here considering that the game has been out. You normally don't see that. A lot of times you see games that are starting to come out. But it, it's a voxel game, but you play a shapeshifter, basically. You can become a bird and fly around. You can go into the ocean and become a fish or any other kind of air or sea creature, land creature. And it's simply a relaxation game meant to explore and discover things. So, just so I don't butcher any of the pronunciation, why don't you just play it? <laughs> just to be safe. I'm at the booth for... How do you pronounce this? Uh, we say, in Norwegian we say Ful, but okay. in uh, American it's usually Fuggle or Fugle. Because we kind of kill it in that way. Yeah, <laughs> you can't really pronounce the U. You say, I, we say U. You can't okay. say that. Can you say that? U. 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 Yeah. U. Ful. Ful. Tongue a little bit in the yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell me your name. My name is uh, Johan Jesland. Okay. So this is a flight simulator? Yeah, basically it's a flight simulator. I grew up, you know, playing flight simulators, but I was always very frustrated with them because they're always focusing on like the technical aspects of flying. Right. And you couldn't really fly close to the terrain because, you know, it was very blocky or very like the polygons got very big right, and right. textures just broke up and it looked horrible. Mm -hmm. So I always wanted kind of this flying game where you could kind of fly into caves and fly very close to stuff. 
So that was kind of the inspiration to start making this game. To, yeah. So what do you play as? Well, you play as a shape-shifting bird. Um, so you fly around with this bird, and when you come close to other animals, we have about 200 animals in-game. 200? Uh, yes. Oh, wow. And you can discover those animals, if you get close to them, uh, you morph into them. So you change your shape uh, into that animal, and you also unlock it as an avatar. So you can choose it as your default avatar for later play. And each avatar has like different physicals, like they fly a little bit differently. Right. Well, yeah. I saw that you can also go swimming, so you can become a dolphin as well. Yeah. So we expanded on that concept a little bit, so you can also be like a flying monkey and stuff like oh. that. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. You have these fun moments, you know, when you discover a little frog and you turn right. into that, and it's right. like you fly around, it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> fly around. Yeah, frog. yeah. Why not? Yeah. So uh, and notice there are also different biomes, so different. Uh, environments. Yeah, we have like 11 different levels. It's just for a variety. They look a little bit different. Right. Yeah, different animals in each of them. And every biome has like this special rare creature you can find. Mm -hmm. Like mythological creature, like a yeti, you know, or like a unicorn. Right. Yeah. Is it uh, procedurally generated? Is it it's procedurally generated, but not in real time. It's, it's made in the level editor. Okay. So, like, no block is placed individually, but it's, like, procedurally with, like, okay. you know, sliders and, yeah, in different stages. Right. And I noticed that it's uh, it's voxel-based, so it's more like Minecraft. Any particular reason for that design choice? Yeah, it's, um, like, every, like, Minecraft, every block is the same size. Mm -hmm. So, like, what I discovered when I started making flying games is that you really need a um, good sense of scale to get a good sense of speed. Right. So you really need these visual cues in the terrain. Like, usually that's why they put in trees and, like, this ground clutter in, in, um, in flying games. Because right. you can kind of see how fast you're going. Because you know how big this tree is. So then you get the sense of speed from that. But here with the voxels, every cube or every voxel is the same size. Mm -hmm. So uh, when your mind kind of makes up, you know, uh, how big is the voxel, then when you just see them, you kind of get this immediate sense of space. Right. So, and then when you have this, this sense of scale, you also get the sense of speed. Yeah. And it also prevents a lot of popping, like, oh, I'm getting close, I gotta load in a new texture. You just draw the box on the distance, is that it? Yeah, I mean, it helps with the rendering. We're not, it's not texturized, so I can render a little bit more polygons. And with, uh, with the voxels, there's a lot of polygons. So. You know? <laughs> Crashed into a cave wall. Yeah. So, but the game is very open-ended. It's, it's try to make games for people who don't play games. I don't right. play much games myself because I find them too complex. Um, they can be, yeah. Very hard to learn all the controls, and then you leave them for a week, you know, come back to the game, you don't remember any of the controls. Right, yes, I know what you mean. So I think it's like, this is a very high barrier to play in most games, um, but I think like the medium is getting more and more, it appeals to more and more people. Mm -hmm. Very fluid. It's a very good computer. <laughs> well, you know, still. Yeah. So is there an end game to it, or do you no. just keep flying around? Yeah, you keep flying around. I mean, some people, like, you have a gallery with all the um, 
uh, your collected avatars. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you could uh, be a completionist and try to find all the animals. And we even put in like yeah. some super small eggs you can find. Eggs? Yeah. <laughs> so they have a, a special avatar, each of the eggs, but they're very small. So right. you have, really have to search for them. So if you have some people that are like, they're just missing two eggs, you know, oh, where are yeah. those eggs? Well, yeah. yeah, completionist, no, guiltiest charge. Yeah. <laughs> But there's no end game, no. So this is a game you can play like when you're... You just need to chill. Yeah, chill, you know. There's a lot of people with anxiety issues. Right. Autists play it a lot. Kids love it. Right. But also older people, like girls, like maybe not like the most hardcore gamers, but right. more casual gamers. I know. Even the... Hardcore gamers, we need our time to just wind yeah, down. Yeah, like if you pick play, up a game, play it for five yeah. minutes just to chill out. Like yeah, if you like play League of Leg Legends or something like really intense, or mm -hmm. like uh, Fortnite or something. Right. Before you go to bed, it's nice just to play like half an hour this game and you just chill out. And, right. Yeah. So what platforms are you available on? Right now, it's uh, available on PC, Mac, and Linux, but okay. and also on uh, VR on the Oculus Store. I've been bringing it to Steam VR and uh, oh, wow. also iOS and uh, hopefully Android and hopefully Switch. And, and, and did I hear Linux in there? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. something that you don't hear a lot of anymore. No, my um, my co-programmer is uh, very fond of like open standards right. and all that. Right. So he right. was like, yeah, there was got one request for you know the Linux people are always very vocal. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, I understand that. So they're like, oh, what about the Linux version? It's like, yeah, it shouldn't be any problem. But of course, like we have a lot of problem with the Linux version. Right. Always, always something yeah. breaking, not working. Well, I mean, if it's coded in OpenGL or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, it should be good. Oh, so now he's a fish. Yeah. <laughs> so that is very cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for your sure. time. Good luck. How's the response been so far? Very good. Very good. good. I mean, we've been touring with this game for four years, so... <laughs> I know, I've seen it on Steam for a while yeah, now. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, do I? So, it was supposed to be finished now, but uh, I still have a little bit... A few months more. Ah, okay. I'm gonna add in some waterfalls and some camera polish and localization and stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. That's cool. What is it to localize? Oh, well, I guess the languages for the menus and so forth. Yeah, far. menu and help text mainly. Right. I know that some people are going to look at it and think, whatever, it's a voxel-based flight simulator, so what? It's one of those games where you never know. Just flying around, looking for the animals, looking for those eggs. You get an album of avatars that you've collected through your time playing in it. But obviously there's, like you said, with the eggs, yeah. difficult to find, but there's obviously going to be other characters that are difficult to get as mm -hmm. well. I mean, one one of the guys that was playing it on one of the reviews that I was watching, he said, oh, I've turned into a crab. I was like, <laughs> really? I guess he didn't see the crab, he just got close enough to it and boom. <laughs> That could very well be exactly what someone wants. You know, just chill out and calm down and relax, not worry about anything, fly around and have fun doing it. When I was uh, looking at it earlier today, the bits when you fly over the water and it just looks, you know, just smooth. Yeah. It, it's really nice. Oh, it's, it's absolutely well polished. And I do like the fact that it was available on Linux, too. That threw me for a loop. It's worth checking out, even if you're not or you don't think that you're into those. I keep going back to my example of Euro Truck Simulator 2, which you think, why does this game 
have an overwhelmingly positive feedback on Steam. You drive a truck around Europe. Big furry deal. And one time it came down to like $2 on Steam. Super ridiculously low sale. And I thought, whatever, I'll see what the fuss is all about. I probably put in 130 hours into that game afterward. (laughs) It was so well polished. It was so relaxing. And the fact that you could tune in a real-world radio station while you're driving, and it fully worked in 3D. I mean, real, actual, you know, stereoscopic 3D. It was flawless. You could look around the cab and look at all the buttons and, and uh, you know, gears and steering wheel and, and cabinets and so forth. It worked beautifully in 3D. My sodas for the family are stored down here, and they like they'd come down to grab one of the sodas or whatever, and they'd be like, "You're still playing that?" Like, yes, I'm still playing it. Shut up! <laughs> I mocked it constantly. It's like, come on, you're driving a truck around Europe. This is ridiculous. Oh, this looks very nice. Oh, this I can turn in a radio station. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same kind of thing. You never know; it might click. Another one that I saw there that I interviewed from last year was uh, the folks from Moving Out. I I had fun with that one. Moving Out is a, well, it's a moving simulator. It's a couch co-op where you and your friends, you get together, and you have to basically move furniture out of a building. But, of course, there are obstacles in the way, uh, including ghosts. And, you know, of, of course, to be silly, to keep the ghosts away from you for a little bit of time, you have to punch them in the face. You know, like you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's they were back again this year, and i that's one of those games that I thought, oh, that, that's cute, but I don't know. And then I played it. I was like, this is actually fun. I like this. And they were back again this year, so I had to talk to them. And uh, in this case, I talked with Ashley Ringrose. Don't think that's who I spoke with last year, but doesn't matter. So they were back for more, and I decided to find out what's been going on since last year. I am back here at Moving Out. I was here last year and enjoyed the game a lot. Thank you. Uh, So you're back this year. What's changed since last year? Uh, We've pretty much finished the game now. We're just in polish phase. For this demo, we're showing a pack. We've got new levels. All the art's been kind of finalized. Uh, It's been a lot more kind of polish added to animations. We've got new characters, new character customizations, final sounds, even though you can't hear it because it's quite loud here. But yeah, we're we're coming out April 28th, so we're kind of in that final pre- launch phase and kind of getting the word out there about the game. Nice. Now, uh, for anybody who missed it from last year, what is Moving Out? Moving Out, the easiest touchstone is it's overcooked, but you're moving furniture. Basically, you've got to move items cooperatively out of a building or a house and get them into a truck as quickly as possible. There's a bit of a meta game in the truck of how you stack the trucks. Right. But yeah, it's a cooperative uh, moving simulator, I guess. Moving simulator. And yeah. it's, it's a couch co-op. Couch co-op, yeah. So. You can play online if you on Steam. You can use uh, oh, you did Play Anywhere online. Together now. I think last year there was a debate on whether it was going to be online no, or not. So it, it'll ship couch co-op only, but Steam has the uh, Play Anywhere Together kind of feature so you can All right. easily play with anyone, one of your friends Okay, Steam. so it's not that it's going to necessarily be built into the game, no, it's no. going to be doing it through Steam. Yeah, yeah Steam. So okay. the consoles are local only. PlayStation has the share play feature, you can play with one other person. Right. But yeah, right now it's, yeah, it's just local. So and what are some of the challenges that people would run into now? For us, it's, it's always that balance of how, how hard you make the game versus 
just how easy. And there's a very, you know, there's like a sweet spot on challenge. So there's a few levels there where we've, you know, tuned them a little bit harder or tuned them a bit easier. Because we want people to have fun. We don't want people to be stuck and go, well, I can't get past that. Right. So that's probably the biggest challenge is, you know, it's finding that sweet spot. Uh, we've also added a lot of assist mode and accessibility options to make the game easier for kids or people who, are, you know, don't game at a certain speed. So we've allowed, you know, you can tick a box and get more time. You can remove some of the dangers in the game. So that was really, it wasn't a challenge. It was just more like having enough development time to add those right. and test them properly. Right. That's, the, that's like the first thing you would cut if you had a strict deadline. So that's why we pushed it back to April 28th so we can kind of get everything in there. So that when the game comes out, it's, you know, everyone can play. How's the response been for everyone? The response has been fantastic. I mean, last year was the first time we showed it publicly. Mm-hmm. Gave us a lot of uh, renewed energy. That's why we love coming to these shows. We also found a lot, like, the, the getting everything into the truck and kind of pushing it in, we were tuning that to be much easier. Mm-hmm. But when we saw people struggling but having fun doing that at PAX, we're like, okay, we need to make sure that that's an important integral part of the game. So that was a really kind of eye-opener for that. But yeah, the response would be great. When we announced the date, April 28th, uh, a couple of weeks ago, like the response was much bigger than I was expecting. Nice. So that gave us, again, renewed energy to go like, wow, people are really, you know, getting excited by the game. Cool. And, and having Team 17, they've got the overcooked audience, they've got the, you know, the expertise there. Just kind of gives us more confidence, you know, that we're in good hands to kind of, you know, ship this game and, you know, it'll be a success. You guys are the same developers? Or... No, no, we're di- same publisher. Oh, okay, same publisher, okay. Different developers, it's us and uh, DevM Games, okay. uh, Jan in Sweden, so we've teamed up and uh, we had some of the Overcooked 2 level designers helping kind of craft, give us feedback on some right. of the levels, but That's cool. it's all done by us. That definitely helped, like, that helped us, you know, we had some ideas for certain features, and they're like, you know what, don't focus on that, focus on this, because right. that's what everyone liked more in Overcooked, and so we're like, great, that kind of, instead of second-guessing yourself, because one of the traps you fall under for a developer is just adding, you just you think more is better, Right. where in actual fact it's what you take away, and how you, so you can spend more time crafting what people really want, than worrying about adding as many features as we can. Right. That's cool. So what platforms are you going to be out on? We'll be out on everything. PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo Switch, and Steam. And we'll have physical editions for all those consoles as well. So, Oh, nice. Yeah, so that... But through, like, a limited run games? No, uh, through, through, through Sold Out, which... Uh, so it'll be in Best Buys and all that kind of thing. So Wow. Yeah, in Australia, Australian game stores, which is cool for us in Australia. Right. So we're excited about going to the store and seeing our own game and then asking the clerks, like, oh, what do you think about this game? You know, right. see what they say. Oh, yeah, so it's, it'll have for quite a large uh, physical release, which is exciting for us. Oh, that's cool. All right. Uh, I mean, you can check us out on Twitter, right. Moving Out Game. You can check out our website. Wishlist us on Steam. That really does help. Yep. Even if you're going to buy us on Switch or something else, wishlisting on Steam really, help, right. really helps us because uh, the more wishlists we get, the kind of more attention you get from the platform, from Valve. So, so that's good. Um, yeah, and we've got we've got merch here at PAX East. Yeah, I saw down. that, the little plush moving boxes yeah, got, and everything. The moving aesthetic is actually quite easy to replicate, so having a lot of fun, you know, just making the booth out of cardboard boxes. <laughs> Everyone can relate to the idea of moving house, and so, uh, yeah, we're able to have a lot of fun with the, that kind of theme. And you toss it in the recycle bin when you're about to leave, exactly. not to bring back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, well, well thank, thank you. Good luck with the game. Thank you very much, and yeah, hopefully we'll see you next packs after this you know, when we're released and you know done done really well and we'll have like twice as many boxes there you, <laughs> there you go yeah. that that's the that's the proof of success how yeah. many boxes are here yeah yeah excellent <laughs> all right cool take Thank care you. thanks right. you know, if there's a pax east next year you never know there might not be
I was watching one of the demos earlier and I noticed that, well, he was talking there about there's more characters that you can play as and stuff. And and I noticed that there were some wheelchair user characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is really cool. They're adding a lot of things for accessibility. And even that, granted, that's not an accessibility thing. It's a representation thing. But why not? Why not? I mean, granted, the character that was in the wheelchair looked like it was some kind of McDonald's fries or something. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, for all we know, you can choose the character and then you choose if you want that person in a wheelchair or not. Yeah, that's true. Now, I can't imagine that that would have been too difficult to, to add for, mm-hmm. in that regard. So, yeah, why not? But I, I remember it from last year, and uh, I took a look at it and thought, you know, this is the kind of game that I would have played back in the day. Uh, it's the kind of game that would have been on the Mega Drive back then, or the or the Genesis. That would have been the kind of game I would have played. Well, hey, now you can. But I mean, it really is meant to be couch co-op, so I don't know that you could do it single player. So you'd have to get the uh, you'd have to get the significant other in on that one. Well, okay, no, I take that back. They do have the Steam, you know, the Steam function. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's possible. So the next one is actually for uh, a pair of games, one of which I do own, I will admit. It's called Feather, which, just like... uh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. Phew. I hope I got that right. (laughs) If you go in the mindset of if you're Scandinavian, Mm -hmm. and all that goes through my mind is the the Swedish chef from the Muppets. (laughs) And uh, so it's like, Fugel. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it's probably wrong as well. Yeah, it was. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's in the same realm as that where it's free-flying. You're a bird in this case, and you fly around. Except in this case, you're just a bird. It's more than that. It is about exploration and flying around, a relaxing game. But when you watch the, like, the trailer, they do have some things there for you to look for. So I noticed that there are these large circles that have some kind of energy on the inside of them. So I'm wondering if they also have, like, your own little races that you can run or something like that. I'll eventually get to play it. It's caught in the Steam backlog. Then their other game is... Wow. Um, Okay, we all know the brand name Roomba, which is the the little circular disc that goes around and cleans your floor and automatically goes back to recharge itself. Those little autonomous cleaning robots, we've all seen them. The brand name is Roomba. At least, that's over here. Are they known by that over there? Yeah, yeah, you get them here. Okay. So these guys decided to say, well, what if you had these little cleaning robots that detected that people broke into your house? So it's trying to basically take them out. (laughs) So to play on the name, they decided to call this game Roombo First Blood. So combination of the uh, Roomba as well as the movie Rambo First Blood. (laughs) (laughs) So that right there was, wow, okay. But it's a strategy game more than anything else. You have to decide, do this first, which will trigger this, and then that could trigger this, and, and so on. It is a cute little game. And it's so off the wall. <laughs> I mean, how often do you see games about semi-sentient cleaning robots? So uh, I talked with uh, Winston Tang and this is what he had to say about it. I'm at the Samurai Punk booth, and uh, so the games that you offer here, how would you describe them? Uh, I would describe them as weird games. (laughs) Um, We like to make things that people don't expect, uh, offer them something a little different, Uh, and uh, 
some fresh that they they weren't they didn't know that they would enjoy until they've actually played it. Right. Um, so the one here you got is Feather, which I can disclaimer I already own it. Uh -huh. Oh great, so, thank you. Um, and that's just a flight simulator. Um, yeah, you could think of it that way, but I guess rather than uh, aeroplanes, you're a bird. Right. Um, and the focus is very much on what is that organic, natural feeling uh, experience of flying. Mm -hmm. um, and we want, to, we want to create that experience that is uh, all about the intrinsic joy of flight. Um, so we're not throwing you with quests or collectibles or any kind of objectives. There's just a big open space for you to enjoy being in. You know, you get that very specific. Uh, it's almost in some ways like a role-playing game where you get these. You get to do things that a bird would do. Right. You get to fly around. You swoop, dive into the water. You get to spin around, make tweeting sounds. Right. Um, on the surface, what attracted me to it was that it looked a lot like it's based on something like Flower, uh -huh, uh -huh. which I love. I yeah, love yeah. that game. Incredible so game. Oh, yeah. hey, this is interesting. The price is right. It's uh -huh. fine. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, I mean, there's another one uh, somewhere over there uh -huh. uh, called Fugle, something Fugle. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. There are a few games right now which are, are kind of exploring that idea of, like, flight and movement as, as the key mechanic. Um, so uh, Fugle, I believe they have procedurally generated environments, yeah. whereas Feather, it's very much handcrafted. So, uh, yeah, this, this whole island, the structure of it was built in a weekend game jam. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so the very first version we made over two days. Um, nice. And it had a similar style, a similar layout, mm -hmm. but the design of the island has been iterated on for the past three years. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of, like, back and forth, having us playing it, having other people playing it, and, like, slowly adding new things, but very much with that handcrafted human touch um, which you know the procedural stuff is cool because yeah. it'll never end but uh, what Feather has that's unique to it is that you know very much um, you know deliberate design uh, filled with secrets you know for people to uncover right yeah no it looks great and like I said I, I haven't had a chance to play it because you know the, the steam backlog syndrome oh right yeah, yeah. we all yeah. know that yeah, we all know that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Now, what's this other one? Roombo? Yeah. First Blood? Yes, yes. <laughs> so this is a title that we just released on uh, Steam and Switch last year. Like you mentioned, it's called Roombo First Blood. It's about a sentient robot vacuum cleaner that has to defend its house from burglars. <laughs> so very much in the vein of Home Alone, you have to improvise traps from the gadgets around the house to uh, fight against the burglars. Nice. Um, yeah, have you had a chance to play this one? That one I have not had a chance to play right, yet, right. but where, where, who came up with that idea? It's a great idea. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's actually inspired by a true story because uh, my house was broken into, fortunately. Um, yeah, so it's not a nice experience, um, but uh, at the time, the only, buddy, the only one at home was the robot vacuum. Oh. Unfortunately, they let the burglars get away, but, you know, my imagination started going, what if? Yeah. What if he could have fought back? Well, you know, with, with stuff like uh, Raspberry Pis and oh, yeah. uh, stuff like that, uh -huh. Arduinos, you never know. Yeah, I mean, the world is your oyster. <laughs> like, you know, the over-the-top uh, home defense system is very much in the realm of possibility. We uh, were fortunate enough to be able to work with Humble Bundle mm -hmm. on that project. Um, 
It first uh, was made as a part of the Humble Original program. Okay. So with the Humble subscription, they give away a free game every month, and uh, Humble supported us to, to make this game. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, afterwards we've been able to distribute it and sell it on other platforms as well. That's cool. Yeah. So what platforms are your games generally available on? So we've always put them on PC, right. but we have floated around as well. Um, the most recent games are on PC and Switch. Mm -hmm. Our game before that, The American Dream, was a VR game. So that was on uh, PlayStation VR as well oh, okay. as PC VR. Screen Sheet is on Switch, PC, Xbox, and PS4. That's currently our main library. All right, cool. And you guys are based out of Australia? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So long way to get here. Very long, very long, <laughs> yeah. Um, for myself, it was 25 hours oh. of in transit, which was... Uh, Oh. Quite, a, quite a while, yeah, my body hates me for it, but, you know, I'm, Why? Uh, yeah. oh, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just very confused. Uh, during setup, we had multiple clock on my watch, yeah. on, on the computer, and they're all different time zones. I had no idea what was going on, it was mayhem. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think I'm a little settled now. There you go. A little bit, Just yeah. in time to go back and have it all reset. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great, it's great. The fun never ends. Nice. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about your games, where do they go? Yeah, so uh, they can visit SamuraiPunk.com. Uh, they can find info on our games and the collaborations that we've worked on as well. And on top of that, there is all of our merchandise, right. uh, which they can find there. Uh, specifically, store.samuraipunk.com. We have a whole bunch of t-shirts, hoodies, beanies, all kinds of cool stuff there. I love that blue one up there. Thank you. Very thank cool. You. Cheers. Cheers. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me. How's thank the reception been so far? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, really good. Really good. Um, this is the first time that we've showed Rumbo at a convention. Oh, okay. Nice. So people are having a lot of fun with it. It's cool to get people's hands on with it. Thanks for talking to thank me. You. Thank and, you. And uh, good luck with the rest of PAX. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. My first thought when I saw it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Metal Gear Solid. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because you have to hide and... And I've got the vision yeah. cone and, the and vision that cone, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and all I was thinking through my head is when you get detected, you, you get that little... Yeah. You get on Metal Gear Solid. And you know what? The, the best thing about that game is it's three bucks. Really? It's three dollars on Steam. Wow. That's it. You know, and even Feather. Feather's only ten bucks on Steam. Wow. Uh, you know, that, that's the sort of thing where even if you don't know that you'll play it, three bucks to support an indie dev out of Australia... Why not? The other thing I liked about it is, let's say, when you eliminate one of the burglars, <laughs> uh, there, there's a little bit of blood splatter. A little bit? Um, but being a vacuum cleaner, it actually goes back and vacuums up the mess. <laughs> yes, and I noticed that's the one part about the game that I'm like, I hate timed levels, but apparently you've got X amount of time, I guess, before your owner comes home, so you've got mm -hmm. to clean up all the blood. <laughs> so you caused it, and you got to clean it up. And I'm, I'm wondering if they've got a challenge in there to make it, like, if you do this, it'll make the blood splatter more. Whereas if you do this, it'll be harder to do, but it'll be a nice clean kill. Ah, right. That, I'm, I'm just wondering if that's part of it, too. That's one of the craziest ideas I've seen. I love it. <laughs> and it is, as you say, very cutesy. The design of the robot is is quite cute. Yeah, and and the intro video shows them all of a sudden getting angry because there's someone in my house. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and then the next thought goes through my head is uh, I don't know if you had a similar show in the States Robot Wars where you get like two teams of normally college students oh yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it called over here BattleBots yeah something like that I think you know you could convert one of these vacuum cleaners into one of these kind of yeah well that's why I was saying between the Raspberry Pi for the brains and the Arduino to control servos and so forth you know hey uh, get one of those little floor cleaners that shoots Chinese stars or something you know <laughs> a flamethrower if you do it you didn't get it from me <laughs> one of Elon Musk's not flamethrowers <laughs> not a flamethrower yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> You never know. Well, you know. I'm sure people could come up with ideas like that. <laughs> and if they do, it's their responsibility. It is not the responsibility of TGP Nominal. Thank you very much. The disclaimer right here. <laughs> we're not condoning the idea, but we're not saying it wouldn't be cool to at least see it implemented. <laughs> I can just see the YouTube videos now. <laughs> bad. We are bad people. <laughs> well, actually, it's not our fault either because they came up with the game. Yeah, that's <laughs> we wouldn't true. have come up with this on our own. <laughs> Speaking of something that I never would have come up on my own, there have been a lot of games recently that are like dual stick controllers where each stick controls a certain part of whatever character you're playing, like Octodad comes to mind. Where it's like one controller is the, the one arm and then the other controller is the, the other arm and you have to try to get them to work in tandem so that you can move and you can do things that you need to do. Really difficult to do, really frustrating, but you know these kind of games are out there and people love them. If you want to get creeped out, but you want that kind of dual joystick control challenge, boy, is this next game the one for you. Because it's cool, and it's creepy as hell to look at. <laughs> and it's called Speaking Simulator, which is what you'd think it would be. It's a speaking simulator, so you're controlling the tongue, you're controlling the jaw and the lips, trying to talk, and the story is that you play a robot, basically, and you're trying to emulate a human, and you control the attempt to talk properly. And... Yeah, you have to see it to believe it. This is one of the drawbacks of having an audio podcast. But <laughs> you're a robot, and the more you fail at it, all of a sudden sparks start to shoot out, and parts start to spring out. And it's creepy as all hell, but it's still cool to watch. And so I had a chance to talk with the co-founder of Affable Games, Jordan Camino, and, uh, well, here's what he had to say. I'm at the Affable Games booth, and this is a game that you yourself have described as weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is Speaking Simulator, and uh, you describe it. <laughs> well, the premise of the game is that you're a robot trying to infiltrate society, so you have to 
have conversations with people to gain their trust. You're moving your robot's jaw and tongue around, and if you get it into the right position, words will come out, and you'll win them over. And if you mess up, you'll start to malfunction, the, your eyes could pop out, or you'll start bleeding oil out of your ears, and they'll figure out that you're a robot. <laughs> and that's not good for anyone. No. <laughs> so it looks like it's a two-joystick design. One moves the tongue into various positions, the other one moves the mouth into various positions, yep. and it borders on super creepy, <laughs> but, so what is it that you're trying to do? As words come up that you want to say, your mouth will light up, different buttons will highlight to show you where you need to move to to make that sound, and arrows will show you where you need to stretch your lips, and if you make those movements correctly, then the sound will come out. And if you do it fast enough, it sounds like you're talking, but you have to be real good yeah, to get that, fast. That takes some experience, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay, Who, whose brainchild is this? <laughs> um, so, me and Jed are the two co-founders of Affable Games, and we were prototyping this stuff together. Jed was watching The Dark Knight, and there's that part where Harvey Dent's face gets blown apart, right? Um, and he's still talking, just totally normally. And we were like, that's not true, you can't do that. If you don't have a cheek, you can't make sounds properly. So we started making a game that was uh, based around that, just like messing around with facial animation and blowing it apart. It's pretty body horror sort of stuff, so... Uh, <laughs> Then we transition to robots, because robots are hilarious, and uh, if you've ever seen a robot do anything, it's always funny. They're like falling over, they're saying dumb things, right. um, and so we, we put that together to make it a bit more creepy and hilarious instead of horrifying. And it's a less gruesome way to do it than having yeah. someone's face get all made. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> How did you lack of a better term, study the mechanics for this? Well, we're both game developers. Uh, occasionally we teach at a university, and so if you've ever taught animation, you'll see students, the first time they get a face they can animate and move around, they'll just start like pulling it in every which direction and doing all sorts of crazy <laughs> stuff. Just um, like you do. Yeah, and uh, and it, it gets really funny when, when they do that sort of stuff. So part of our, our study is like how to teach people how to move stuff around. And once you sort of know what a face looks like, it's easy enough to put into a game. Mm -hmm. For the actual speech side, we did a lot of research into linguistics, how you speak, how you move your tongue. We learned about soft palettes and hard palettes and phonemes and all sorts of nerdy things oh, like wow. that. We made a hyper-realistic speech model, uh, and that was really boring, so we threw it out, and then we started making this one, which was a lot more fun and entertaining. Yeah. So, a little bit of study, and then gamified to make it easily accessible, so that you don't have to have done a four-year degree to be able to enjoy the game. That, yeah, I can see over here, he was uh, not doing too well. His ear is popping out on a spring. Yep. Yeah, I see the oil leaking. <laughs> a bit of sparks on the cheek. Okay. So, I mean, is there is there actually like an end game to this, or do you just keep going? The end game is that you take over the world. So eventually, <laughs> of course. you become president, and you manage to convince humanity to allow you to turn them into batteries. Um, <laughs> in some ways, you could think of it as the prequel to the Matrix. I was I thinking guess. about that. Right. <laughs> this is how it all starts. Oh, great! At some point, the red pill and blue pill show up. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. How's the response been for it? Uh, people really like it. For the most part, people will come in and they'll sit down, they'll play it, and they'll be in stitches as their like eyes fall out and their right. body parts fall <laughs> off. Um, there's a there's a few people that come past and they just like creeped out too much and they're like, nope, can't handle it. Um, <laughs> it is. It's oh, yeah. yeah. I popped out on that one. Yeah. Look, weird stuff's not for everyone, and so uh, we definitely took a strong like a, a target market that we had when we made this game. Right. And yeah, worked yeah. to that. That's 
business. So it's both dual joystick, and I saw someone playing mouse and keyboard. Yeah, so you can play with mouse and keyboard on PC. Actually, there's also another mode on PC where you can play with your webcam, and the webcam watches your face and then translates it into the game. It's pretty cool. That's it's pretty cool. fun. So that's that's available too, uh, and it's out now on Steam and Switch. So you can buy it and play these crazy modes. That was the yeah. next question. So you had that one. Where are you guys based out of? We're from Australia. We actually live in Brisbane, uh, actually, in sunny a lot Queensland. Of I've spoken to are from Australia. We have a fairly strong game scene for such a small population. Right. Uh, we definitely punch above our weight. I like to think anyway. Yeah. You know. um, yeah. It must have been an interesting flight. Oh yeah. Uh, 20 hours or so of travel. Pass. Two flights. <laughs> Pass. Well, hopefully it was all worth it. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't mind flying. You watch movies, write some code, make some more game stuff. Oh, that's true. Do some more code while on the Yeah, plane. yeah. There you go. It's good fun. I really enjoy it. Um, traveling around to new places is great. That's cool. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me. My pleasure. And uh, have a good rest of the packs. Yeah. Right. You too. Yeah. And, oh, I neglected to ask, or did I, did I ask about how I can get more information? I don't think I did. My bad. Well, you know, just look up Speaking Simulator, you'll find it. But the thing is, the since the interview, I have no idea how this works. They have released a multiplayer update. All right. I don't know how that's supposed to work. If it's like a competitive thing where you're two robots, or if one controls the mouth, one controls the tongue. I don't know. But seriously, even going to the Steam page... Just looking at the Steam page, you could be like, ugh. <laughs> I was watching a guy actually playing it today. He was doing a kind of a, a review, but he was playing it, at, and he was an Australian guy as well. And he spent most of the time trying to see whether you can bite your own tongue off. Oh. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I guess just because. I can't imagine that they would have... You know what? You never know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But the one thing I did notice when he was reviewing... If you try too hard to get the buttons in the right order when you speak, sometimes you press down too hard on the teeth and the teeth start to break, which makes it even more difficult for you to make the sounds that you need to make. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, then it, it says that you can also do stuff like uh, learn to smile, learn to raise an eyebrow, you know, um, do stuff every now and then you glance away from the person you're talking to. Not to be rude, but just like something caught your attention. You know, you, you could do that in the game. I'm really curious, though, about the multiplayer update. But the, the, the thing I also thought was it's almost like um, controlling uh, a puppet yeah. or uh, an animatronic. What was the name of that game that really started this whole thing? It it was like one of those wooden human figurines and you had to control the leg movement and you had to get it just right, otherwise you'd flop over. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Oh, man. Q-W-O-P. That's it, because I think those were the only keys that you could use to make the thing move. It's kind of like that. Again, uh, Octodad, uh, I think... I Am Bread works on the same kind of principle, I think. One of the other things I I noticed in the game is that the robot will say things that he thinks humans would say. Like when he's talking to the, the girl that you're trying to get a date with or whatever, 
she, she asked him for a drink and um, he says something like what fermented ethanol product would you like <laughs> well it's not wrong <laughs> they had this big well the photo that I took with him was this massive model of it of this tongue just like wrapped around <laughs> it's the business card of course one side is a tongue of course <laughs> oh they went all out on this one <laughs> but it does look fun I must it admit. does it, it's, it looks so creepy that it looks fun that's really the best way to phrase it I don't know I don't know any other way to phrase it to be quite honest <laughs> but as he said they're, they're kind of going for that creepy factor too that's what catches your attention on it it'll get you on the the um Novelty factor, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, no different than, uh, you know, selling floppy disks. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that that's a fun one. What is that currently? 15 bucks on Steam. Even that's not bad for what it is. No. And it's definitely going to pose a challenge for you. Oh, yeah. As, as long as you can get past the creepy factor. And those of you who are, who are just listening now, when you go to see it, you'll know what I mean. As always, there'll be links to all the companies involved and videos as well, so you can have a look. The next one is... I I can't say that it's a video game thing because it's more than that. It's a family. It's a family of five where the mother is actually an author. The one son is into fashion and clothing design. The others are into video games and music production but then they bring all of that together. It's truly a family affair. And uh, I believe the uh, the mom is a successful author in England, although interestingly not in the States, which is where they're from. Go figure. So rather than try to explain all of the things that they do, it's probably better to just let them explain it. So I am at the booth for Noveline. Is it Noveline Studios or just Noveline? Noveline Inc. Okay. Speaking with? I'm Dave Noveline, the president of Noveline Inc. And this studio is a little bit interesting because it's completely family run. Is just about everybody in the family involved in it? It is exactly everyone in the family. It's uh, my wife and uh, our four sons. And I often say the book, What to Expect What You're Expecting, does not include this. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, what kind of games do you make? What do you focus on? So, what we have here at the booth is uh, we've got Discovers, which is a first person fantasy adventure game that is in development. We have Bleak Welcome to Glimmer, which is a 2D side scroller. And in front are uh, my wife's children's book series. Uh, My wife is a former math teacher, Harvard graduate, who is focused on teaching kids how to think. Mm -hmm. And these books she created, and we actually went through the major publishers and wanted them to remain nameless, took them back to the major publisher, brought it to their subsidiaries, and literally said, no one is interested in what she's trying to do. Really? (laughs) Really. So, after all of the years, so she's got three in the series now, and uh, the last one, Piccadilly and the Jolly Raindrops, won uh, Independent Children's Book of the Year in the UK. So after that happened, we managed to get a a UK distributor. So now we have, uh, the the books are available in the UK uh, from the wholesaler. They're they're now being sold uh, in UK stores, but we don't have a US distributor. We're still self-distributed. So my wife's got the books. Uh, We have a puzzle app for iOS right now that goes along with the children's books. Uh, Our other son, who's not here, is also um, a fashion designer who 
actually, uh, let's see, what's the tie-in? So he made a dress, uh, an ego dress that became uh, semi-famous called the Golden Book Gown, but then he made a second dress for Maisie Williams of Game of Thrones called the Zam Dress wow. that she wore over at a, uh, they had a, the largest antiquarian book dealer in England asked Ryan, our son Ryan, if he would make a dress for their celebrity judge. He did. It turned out to be her. She then wore it at San Diego Comic-Con, made headlines saying it was the coolest thing at nice. San Diego Comic-Con. It was on Fashion Police with Joan Rivers. It is a family project. It's it's almost indescribable because I always say I think we're the only family booth. You know, we're like the Flying Willendas when it comes to these shows. <laughs> right. You know, we've done PAX, we do New York Comic-Con, and there was one not too long ago that we were hauling everything in. I said, wow, this has actually become normal now mm -hmm. that we do these family business trips. Right. It's interesting because it all kind of grew out of raising the kids where they were, everything was focused on creativity. There's a program called Destination Imagination, which uh, my wife and I were both coaches of, which is all about problem solving. Okay. So the kids would, they would compete and they would go off and they do, uh, they, they do skits and they had to like, they would be given a problem, a challenge, they'd have to solve it, they go off and do it. And uh, so they were raised in a creative household. And the funny thing is, I always tell everybody, all of this work, including this gown mm -hmm. that you're looking at here, comes out of this tiny little house. <laughs> it's just, That's I mean, right. yeah. these books, like everything you see here is just this little tiny house and we've done all this work. And yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely a labor of love. I mean, we're, we're really excited. We're working on the fourth book. The books are seasonal. So it's Piccadilly and a Magical World. The fourth one is gonna be the winter book. And that's, uh, that's in development right now. So it's it's really exciting. But like I said, hard to describe what that's right. like. Everybody's got full-time jobs. We're all doing other things. So all this stuff is done part-time? Part-time. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's the family business trip. Like, all right, pack everything up. We're going to do another show. And yeah, it's... Um, and, and we've been doing it now for about... Uh, about six years, I think. You know, we've done, like I said, probably we're up to like 25 different shows. Wow. And it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 wild. It's a lot of fun. That's you know, it's cool. it's bonding. It's fun. Like I said, it's hard to describe. Right. Yeah. So like, when fun. it comes to stuff like, obviously that that uh, iOS game is yep. based around the books, but for things like Discoverers and so forth, is it that somebody says, hey, you know, family, I've got this idea. What do you think about it? And just expand on it from there? Pretty much. Yeah. It's, Dinner it's, table it's, conversation? Exactly. I was about to say, it's, it's <laughs> It's exactly that, the, the dinner table meetings, you know? Nice. Like somebody brings something up and we all start kind of throwing things in there. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, sure. sometimes there's arguments, but it's funny because it, it is a weird sort of dynamic where it's, you know, family dinner and also kind of a corporate business meeting. Right. So, and there's there's a funny line in there somewhere like, okay, get along, we're, we're still a family, so, right. you know, we're right. still a family, like, let's, let's be nice, you know, like, let's, you know, so we, we work through all that. Right. And, and it's amazing, like I said, like after six years and all these shows, there's always something in the works, there's new ideas. Um, my son Joshua does a lot of original music. This has uh, a complete soundtrack. The uh, the Puzzle Lab has a soundtrack, this has a soundtrack, Bleak has a soundtrack, and he and his brother sold over 1,500 songs on iTunes as a band nice. uh, many years ago called Or Nothing. So they had all this music up there, and they had all guerrilla marketing, a lot of talent, very proud of everybody. So is that kind of how it is, like one or two people work on music, one or two work on programming, one or two that's, work on art design? Yeah, and that's and it's funny too, no one has any designated job, whoever can do it, right. who's got the time, and it's amazing, they're all very gifted, and my wife too, I mean she's, she, like I said, Harvard graduate, has this idea, I'm going to teach kids to think, 
I'm not stopping. I'm making these books. Right. And the books are, the, we upgraded the paper. They're heirloom quality. They have hard covers, uh, dust jackets. And, um, you know, she wanted to make something really, really quality. And what we found is that the parents love them. The right. kids love them. And we've sold, you know, over a thousand books at this point, self-published. And um, they're very popular, but it's a matter of getting them in there where the major publishers say, you know, we don't, we're not doing that. Fun. But then yet you have a major publisher over in England. We have a distributor which in England, is, yeah. Like, which is, so yeah, that's right. So we have the distributor, so that, but that distributor is now, they're available. Right. So if you go to any bookstore's website across Europe, you can now get them. So, yeah. Ah. So we're, we're getting there, You're you know? Getting yeah, there. we're that, getting there. That is an amazing story. It's, it's wild. That all works together. My wife and I have met um, in middle school. Yeah. Wow. So we met in middle school, and um, she was a dancer with the Boston Ballet, and uh, I so was. So you guys a, are local. Yeah, we're from uh, right near the New Hampshire border is where we grew up. Okay. And um, she was performing that night. We were in a talent show. I was performing that night, and um, we met. We didn't actually start dating until I was 17, and she was 16. We've been together ever since. Wow. So yeah, that, that's, that's it. And it's just it's been. Uh, Wild ride, you know, like, and here we are, and I, yeah, and I love to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's kind of indescribable, you know, like it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, and it's all just sort of grown naturally. That, and everybody yeah. seems to love what they're doing. They do, yeah, and everybody gets a chance to, you know, to, like I said, to pitch in and something they can do. Like I can do this. I want to, you know, so right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Especially when it's all done part time. Yeah. Somebody asked me, was this? Somebody literally said, I don't remember what I was talking. They said, so what do you do? You know, they asked me. I said, well, and I was talking to them like. I said, well, I do this. You know, I was like, oh, you know, I, can, I can promote. Um, you know, and it's funny. I My credit is I'm always credited as a producer. Right. Because somebody who's behind the scenes, I'm, you know, I'm funding, I'm I'm driving, I'm, you know, doing whatever I can. Right. That's pretty much what but, I but do. really, I, isn't everybody doing that, too? Everyone's doing that, yeah. too, yeah. yeah. And my wife always says, you know, you, you make it happen. You know, it's fun to see it at these shows, and it's fun to see the reactions of people. You know, right. and they tell the family story. They're like, wow, that's, that's that crazy. You know, like it's a, that is it, it is, and it, it is, it is to me as well. You know, all these years later, and one of the things that I think is just is great is that we can we can still work together. Right. You know, after all yes. these, everybody's got their own. You know, like we can still get together and still come up with a product yeah. and say, hey, we've done this together as a family. Yeah. So yeah, and, and not kill each other. That's a yeah. talent in and of itself. <laughs> Then again, I mean, if you're all having fun doing it, then right. what does it matter? Right. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome. It's so awesome. people want in more information about the game or the books or uh, whatever. Noveline.net. It's N-O-V-E-L-L-I-N-E.net. And that's simple yeah. enough. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, How's the response been so far? Excellent. Good. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when we first came here, we kind of tagged along because uh, our kids were selling the games. And we're like, oh, we're going to bring some books. They're like, when are you going to bring the books? Yeah, why not? But we said, why not? We because there are parents well. here. Yeah. <laughs> there are parents here. Yeah, there are parents so here. why not? It's interesting because a lot of times we have one of the only kids' booths, like a kid-centric. Somebody came up right. to us in New York and said, is this really a kid's product? <laughs> and we, and we why said, would they say that? They said that. We said, yeah, like they said, it's not like something that, you know, I read it. I said, no, right. this is actually for kids. It's for eight. That is bizarre. Yeah, like they just didn't expect it. Like, no, it's just, this is for kids. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> parents. 
parents are gamers too. Why yeah, wouldn't they be? Right, right, yeah. right. And then we find a lot, it's interesting too, because you see a lot of the kids, so she she's all focused on critical thinking and problem solving. We have the puzzle app on a touch screen, and you'll see the kids come up, and you can tell the kids that are, right. <laughs> that they're, they're those problem solvers. Like, well, I remember somebody, one small child at that screen, about a half hour until the father was like, yeah, okay, enough, enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, I'm doing this, you know, it's like, that's the market. You know? Yeah, like, there, you kid, there you go. There you go. You made like, a sale there. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, all right. Thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. Nice talking to you. Excellent. And uh, good luck. You're having great mind. You know, it sounds like you've already got all the whole bunch of luck. Thank you. Yeah, that, that's a company you don't see very often. It's a strange dynamic for that kind of environment, but it works. Yeah, the fact that they all have different interests, but yet they can still come together and gel like that and not kill each other at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what, what he was saying about having a distributor in the UK, there is a chain of bookstores in the UK called Waterstones. Uh, everybody in the UK knows them. I think every shopping mall in the UK has got a Waterstones. And I was looking on their website and they stocked the books on there. So, uh, Oh, nice. The next one was humbling in a lot of ways. Um... This booth was the booth for Astragon Entertainment. They are the actual publisher, and there were a couple of games there that they publish that the one I was like, eh, 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 eh. And we just started talking because he saw me looking at the one game. Uh, the first one is called Drone Swarm, and it's real-time strategy, but isn't. I mean, how do I describe it? The best way to describe it, remember Missile Command? Yeah. So you'd have the lines coming down, and you had to shoot the interception missiles, but you had to time it so that they came in together. You know, if you put the X right at the head of the missile that was coming down and you launched, well, you missed it. Because by the time the interception got there, the missile had gone past. Same principle, except you use a fleet of drones. So it's kind of like Missile Command, but also with a little bit of resource management because you have incoming fighters and you have to draw lines for your drones to form either a line of defense or a line of offense. And then, of course, they will get destroyed in the process. So you have to manage getting more of them while still being able to do things like make sure that ships that you're rescuing don't get hit. And you have to draw lines for these drones to do whatever they need to do. And again, it's the same thing. The enemy's coming in, so you have to draw the lines far enough ahead of time that you can intercept them or attack or whatever, but you've got a limited amount of the drones to use. So you have to strategize, do I, how long do I put the line here? Make sure that it's in the path to intercept... It was actually turned out to be a really fun game. And that I was not expecting, because you look at it and it looks like a real-time strategy game, which, that's not my thing. But then once you get that missile command link into it, you know, for, you, know you and me being the old-school gamers, that opens the door a little bit more to it. It's like, this is actually kind of fun. That's the one game that they were offering there. The other one is called Liftoff, and there's a subtext to that one called Liftoff Drone Racing, which is all about... Well, more realistically, quadcopter. And I only make that difference because a drone is supposed to be autonomous. A quadcopter is not. You are controlling it. I guess that's just being a bit too picky on that one. But they've got a couple of different things. You can actually simply race. 
which is fun. It's a it's a it's a fun racing game because you also have to deal with uh, sliding mechanics, you know, semi Newtonian physics, that sort of thing. But then if you go into realistic mode, oh sweet Jesus, I will never own one of those acrobatic kinds of of <laughs> quadcopters because it is so sensitive to flipping and turning. They said during the interview that this game is so realistic when it comes to that sort of thing that actual drone slash quadcopter pilots use it for training when they're not actually flying. And it's really hard to control. But at the same time, it's fun. And the level of detail that they go to is crazy. But, you know, rather than me talk about it, let's let them talk about it. I'm at the Astragon, or is it Lugas, or which one is it? Yeah, so Astragon is a publisher, and there's a few games that they publish here. I'm from Lugas Studios, okay. we're the developer, and we're from Belgium. Okay. Yeah. So, this is liftoff drone racing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, it looks... It's nice and fast, it's nice and smooth, exactly. but I assume that this is actually realistic. Yeah, yeah, so liftoff is an authentic simulator, so everything that you would expect in a simulator, we do that in liftoff. That being said, since we're presenting the, the console version here, we want gamers to be able to pick up the controller right. and instantly have fun. And so what, what people are playing here is what we call the assisted flight mode. So what we do in the assisted flight mode is we take away the need for, for the player to, um, to consider the high control. The game does that for them, and so they can focus on the racing. Okay. But all of that is configurable. So you can go to an authentic acro mode, they call that, and there you have full control, just like with a real drone. But there are so many drones out there. How, like, do you have anything crazy like, oh, well, this model is uh, preloaded as, as something you can load up? Like, Yeah, so we everything that we offer in the game, and there's, there's I think, 25 different um, drone frames that you can select. Mm -hmm. They're all based on real drones. And everything is configurable, and that also means you can make a setup that doesn't fly that well. So we definitely have what we call ah. blueprint setups. Right. And that, those have been tuned by real pilots, and we, we offer those in the games for people to just select and, and fly with, yeah. So if somebody knows that they have this kind of chassis and these kinds of uh, blades and so forth, they can plug it all in, and it can act pretty much like their own. Yeah, that's that's the main selling point. And, and so what we show here is the console version. It's not out yet, but it's been available on PC as well. The biggest compliment we get is, is pilots who say, well, I use this every day for training. And not only it's possible if, if we offer something that's authentic for them. Right. Yeah. That, that's crazy that it can be that authentic. If you think about it, it's a, I don't have one, I gotta admit. Yeah. But you know, maybe the smaller quadcopters, they're not quite the same. Yeah, you know, like the little toy ones that you get. Mm -hmm. you know, the, those yeah, but the, the skill sets you get from those toys, that they, they translate to the real thing as well. There's a few differences, but if you right. can fly one thing, it's easier to get in the other one. But of course, what you always have, even with a toy, if you crash it, it can break. Right. In a simulator, you can press the reset button, and that's right. a favorite exactly. feature in yeah. the game. <laughs> that is neat. So, I mean, you can, can users 
upload like new designs yeah. or yeah so with with the parts that are available now that's i've calculated there must be more than 100 million combinations possible right and so what we have on the pc version people can upload their their favorite setup on the steam workshop and, oh, everyone, wow. and okay. you, everyone can download those and the same with racetracks so we have a track builder and people can create their own racetracks within the environment and then share that race with other people online in multiplayer for oh, example nice. so it, there's a big community of content creators around the game yeah. wow that right there must be huge because <laughs> i know more and more people are getting into it i have several friends who are starting to get into it yeah some just for fun some because they're actual like video creators and they want footage you know aerial footage and so forth. yeah yeah definitely so there's a nice mix of people people who want the casual experience and other ones who want to train for whatever anything that you want to do with drones and that's possible in liftoff yeah that's uh, so you said it's multiplayer then so yeah is there like a couch co-op option yet or thinking about that you mean local co-op yeah no that's not no that's not available and that, that, there's a few reasons for that because what we do with liftoff is we do it's one of the most um, detailed simulations that you can do with current day technology so if we have to do real-time physics calculations for two drones on the same setup right. that would be quite difficult yeah. and, and we don't want to decrease the quality of our simulations so um, that's fair. Uh, so it's a bit of a technical reason and I know that's not a real excuse but well, it's still the one anyway. It's the one you're sticking with. It, 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 is, it is what it is. So we, we go for quality, not, not quantity, you could say. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So you said it's currently out on Steam, yeah. and it's coming out on the... PlayStation 4 and Xbox One in this year. I right. can't say the exact date because we are so focused on just making this the best sure. experience possible on console, and the team in Belgium is still working day and night to get things as, as perfect as possible. Right. Uh, what about like Switch or? Not at this point. Maybe no? okay. maybe in the future. I mean, we Liftoff has been doing so great on PC, and we're so excited for the console version. We have plans for the next decade, so anything right. is possible, and uh, we're in this for for long run. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, with the horsepower of the PlayStation Five and the new Xbox One, maybe that's an opportunity for couch co-op. Well, I I, I I honestly don't know the details, but right. I, I I heard there's going to be crossplay between the old uh, the the current generation and the yeah. future generation. Yeah. So maybe that. That will be an instant thing but definitely i mean again we're in this for for a long while and and yeah. we will continue to to bring new lift of experiences to different platforms so yeah, yeah oh i can just think of what a disaster this would be for me in the real the uh, actual you know, real life kind well that's that's what a simulator is for and one of the biggest compliments we get from our players is that um, often when you buy a game you spend money you get some entertainment value out of it and that's fine but when people buy liftoff and play it, we often get the compliment that they say, well, you, I didn't spend money, you, you, you saved me money. And yeah. Again, it's, it's about stick time and muscle memory. Right. And by, by training in the sim, they crash less often in real life. Right. And, oh, okay, and a, yeah. a crash in, in the real life, that costs you a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can, but I can, I can also see the argument for, yeah, I died so many times in this, I'm not getting a real one. Oh, yeah, that, that's also possible. <laughs> but that, that, that doesn't happen a lot. And Probably not. To be fair, like on, on Steam, uh, the game costs like $20. Right. That's, if you crash your drone, like that's basically a, a new camera or a new motor that will cost you the, the same. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. Nice. So if people want to find out more about this, where do they go? So they can go on our website. It's uh, liftoff-game.com or on social media. If you search for liftoff console or liftoff game for the PC version, they will find us also. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for your time. 
Oh, the game looks great. I do love flight simulators. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know that I'll ever buy one of these, but just from the flight simulator aspect, I'm intrigued. And like challenges like this. I appreciate that, yeah. But definitely give it a try. You can get quite fast. So if you do, I'm sorry. This is a, <laughs> it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> I, I understand. Right. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. I actually got to spend a lot of time with this game because I don't know why but Lugas, the company, treated me like royalty on this one by simply talking about, yeah, you know, my, you know, this is for a podcast, a friend of mine out in England, we do it. They basically gave me full media credentials. So they had this little enclosed area there, and I was in there for like a half an hour, and they were talking about the game, and I was talking with some of the programmers, and playing this thing, dude, this is tough. If you go into the totally realistic mode, those things are a bear to fly. And they have a bunch of different uh, locations and so forth that you could try out. They have a bunch of pre-programmed real-world drones. I'll just use that word. And so you, if you say, hey, yeah, I'm interested in that model, they might actually have it so you can load it up and learn how to fly it. One of them is like a, a building that's under construction and you can fly it through the open windows or what will be windows and, you know, up the concrete stairs if you're good at it, that sort of thing. There were a few times where they said, hey, you know, you're actually pretty good at this, which feels good, but it's a challenge. And the racing is fun. It's simply racing. For 20 bucks, you got the racing, plus then you've got the realistic. Boy, you know, the <laughs> I realize it's not the same, but the realistic kind of feels like the Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that level of challenge, because if you move, just a little bit in the wrong direction, that thing's gonna go whichever way you tell it to, and you might not be able to get control back. It's tough, but it was fun. It looks really fast. Oh yes, well that's, some of the configurable ones, like the default options, they have like the really little teeny tiny ones that don't go very fast. They've got some of the larger ones that are ridiculously fast. You know, and, and you choose what level of, of realism you want. And yeah, the fully realistic, that's for people with more patience than I have. Because it was, <laughs> it was flipping and twisting and turning and going all over the place. And it's so unlike the regular kind of aircraft fixed-wing flight simulators that we might be used to. So different. But it was fun. You know, and and I, I do appreciate the fact that they, you know, took me into that little area and, and allowed me to play it and, and talk with the devs and so forth. It was cool. Nice. I remember my friend, uh, he was interested in buying a, um, a remote control helicopter. Uh -huh. And he got this simulator for his PC, which allowed you somehow, I don't know how, how this works, but you was able to use the remote control for one of these helicopters and it would control the helicopter on the screen. Oh, unless it had some kind of USB connection to the controller? I don't know. Maybe. That's... I can't remember it being connected to anything, but it must have. It must have. And uh, this was about 15 years ago. So Holy cow. It must have been because I was still living back in Aylesbury back then. And he was, and now he lives in uh, another town, and so do I. So it must have been about 15 years ago. And yeah, he, he had a remote control for a helicopter and was using it as a training thing before you actually put one of these really expensive vehicles into the air. <laughs> 
these guys have it too. I'm looking at the Steam page, and at the very bottom it says, a gamepad or dedicated RC controller are required to play Liftoff. So these guys have some kind of capability to that too. Oh, wow. It looks like you can actually do the same thing. So I was thinking about that. I thought, I wonder if you can do that. So yeah, obviously you can. Yeah. That's so cool. That certainly adds a new level to what they're saying. Yeah, I actually do real training. These people are obviously using their own controllers. Yeah. What what, what better simulator is there than actually using the actual equipment that you would be using without the damage? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that's amazing. The other thing I noticed on their website, I was going through their news pages, scanning down the page, and I noticed what looked like an Atari 2600 cartridge for this game, and I thought, no, that can't be right. (laughs) And then I looked at the date on it, and it went April 1st, I thought, yep. ah, right, that explains there everything. You go. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was a fun time. This game is called Unbinary, and I believe it's Ludact Games or Ludact Games. My apologies if I'm butchering that one. I mean, I'm an American. But that was a fun one. It was all VR, and all of the levels were hand-drawn in 3D space in VR. So there was no texture editor or anything going on. It's like they took a paintbrush in VR and drew the levels by hand. It's what you would think a a VR kind of adventure, moving around kind of game uh, with some subtle subtext to it, but I will let them explain it. We are from the studio Ludact. L-U-D-A-C-T, which is a short for ludo-activism, like playful activism. Ludoc, okay. And where are you guys based out of? We are based in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, okay, Brazil. That's a good haul to get here. We do have a rep office here in New York, but yes, of course, Pax is so important for the indies, and it's so nice to be just at the core, at the conference. Okay, so your game is called Unbinary. Yes. What is it about? It's a puzzle adventure in VR, and one thing curious is that it was totally hand-painted inside VR, using Quill. So every trace, every detail you see on the game has been hand-drawn inside VR. So the game's about Webby, a super artificial intelligence who was elected to rule the world. And you, as the player, you have to figure out if she's ready to do so. So you get into simulations created by her, and you have different masks. According to the mask that you put, the world around you behaves differently. So this is useful for going through the puzzles, and it's also a criticism for all kinds of appearance-based biases, like gender bias, race bias, and everything related to how you look like. Right, okay. So how did you come up with this idea decision to actually hand paint everything in a VR 3D space. You know, most games obviously they'll use some kind of uh, you know, like Unreal Engine and they'll map it all out and so forth, but you guys actually went into VR and painted the sets. Yes, right. So we were thinking that the player is getting into a simulation created by an AI. So why it had to be realistic? I mean, it's just an artwork by a super artificial intelligence with an acid humor. So that would be the narrative aspect to it. And of course, we were looking for something that could be more uh, special, more easily recognizable, more unique. So uh, we were trying hard to avoid the uncanny valley, that kind of situation, trying to be realistic, but not really achieving 
and we were targeting to the self-contained hardware. We believe this new wave from which the Oculus Quest could be the, considered the debut, right. this is going to be the new VR. So we were sure that we wished our game run on it. So we were creating hands banded for really having something that look good, is easily recognizable and could be lightweight enough for running on the self-contained hardware. Right. It's, it's, it's obviously it's kind of cartoony and yet not. Yes. It has like a sketchy look. Yeah. So when you when you actually get into the world and, and uh, you put the VR headset on, what do you do? So the first thing is realizing that you are kind of an auditor uh, getting into somewhere that you don't know exactly, but there is that voice with an acid humor. And then she starts to, to tell you the voice is webby, of course. Then she starts to tell you that she's not really happy for you to be auditing her inner workings. But oh, nice. anyway, you must do it because she was elected and right. she wants to rule the world. So uh, she... So she, a little bit of a GLaDOS syndrome there? Yes, yes, there is something <laughs> to it. So she has to bear you and you have to find her flaws. So in the beginning, she thinks she's perfect. And of course, as the narrative develops, you start to figure out the biases, the prejudices, the things that came into her because she was modeled after real-world data. So the game won't tell you that, but you're going to experience it while you're in, you are like uh, going through the puzzles, interacting with the NPCs, and figuring out what will happen. Right, but I see there's also... Well, explain like how some of the puzzles will work. Right, so we, we were uh, uh, clear that players in VR like to do things and not to watch things. So we created many puzzles which are like gesture oriented. We really explored things like climbing and we have been tweaking it a lot for making it work uh, nicely. We are very happy here at PAX. We had like hundreds of people playing the game and everyone feel really comfortable. So you have to uh, m like move things, everything is physics enabled. So sometimes you have to throw things for passing through, you have to climb, there are like switches, mechanisms. You even have to physically interact with some NPCs, sometimes touching them, waving at them, or really trying to, to avoid them to touch you. The most specific mechanics is that you have masks. So according to the masks that you put, you will have like a different kind of a skill set and also the world is going to behave differently. So you have to figure out what the masks really mean for being able to go through certain situations. Wow. Yeah, because I noticed that while well, there you just threw, uh, threw a block on so you could climb up the wall. So I can see that that's, uh, that's a lot of what it has to do with. So you said that you have to find, you're, you're auditing her? Yes, she's going to rule the world and then you have been chosen to go inside her to verify if she can really rule the world. And then you, you start to figure out, because she thinks she's perfect. She's saying, okay, of course I can do it. Right. But then you start to see things that she's doing and things that she's proposing, the way that she talks, and you start to figure out, okay, perhaps she still needs some fine tuning. So what platform is this available on? So we are 
planning to publish in all major VR platforms, uh, Steam VR, uh, Oculus Storefronts, HTC Storefronts, and we are especially keen about the Oculus Quest because, of course, it's such a lightweight, portable hardware. You can just carry it in your backpack and take it out and enter into virtual reality right. anywhere, anytime. And it's uh, definitely a better, better price point than the others, too. Yes, definitely. So it's been challenging to really tweak all the art style for keeping frame rates high every time, and we just achieved it. So we are very proud of having such a, a specific, unique art style inside of the Quest. Right, and yeah, this isn't really a game that's going to lend itself to a mouse and keyboard. Yes, this not at all. It's going to be VR restricted. Yes, definitely. Okay. Made for VR. Yeah. Did you say PlayStation VR? Is it? We are not sure. This is something interesting. When we started the development, we, we were targeting at the PlayStation VR. But after a while, I mean, we are indies. It takes a long time for us to yeah. develop a game. You've so, so many resources. Yes. So the PlayStation VR, it's used to be pervasive on the VR space. But the problem is that the hands, because of the hand controllers, they are so constrained. So on the other hand, when the Quest came, the new headsets, they are so portable. Hand tracking is so amazing, right. and you can do things physically. Like you can just turn with your body and pick something, and then turn back and throw it. Right. With the PlayStation VR, yeah. you can't do it. So we are uh, considering to get back to PlayStation VR, perhaps when the new gen, if it comes, when it comes. If it, well, yeah. I guess the only thing they really need to do is just come up with better controllers. That's obviously not for us, so yes. right, if anybody wants to find out more about Unbinary, where do they go? Yes, uh, please check our social networks, unbinary.com, our website, you can have all the other links over there, join our Discord servers if you'd like to be in touch with the devs directly to give feedback. The game will be on early access on May to be launched on August 2020. Thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, that was a fun one, too. I played that for about 15 minutes, mm -hmm. and there's no hand-holding, so you kind of figure out what you need to do. But it's a VR game, so you do the things that you would do with VR. Uh, you're approaching a ladder, so you have to grab with one hand and pull down, grab with the other hand and pull down. You have to climb across an open chasm, so you have to you know, put one hand out and then swing with the other hand and so forth. It's, a, it's, it's what you would think of as a VR game. Uh, but it's really cool, that art style. Like, uh, you know how if you're drawing with a brush, and you do the stroke, but then as you lift away, the line gets finer and finer and finer. If you look closely at the various scenes that you're walking through, you can see that. So you can see where they kind of did a swipe and then, I guess, released the button, which reduces the amount of pressure against whatever they were drawing on. And so you see the line fade out. And it's just really cool to look at it and think that this whole thing was drawn in VR space. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's... Like I said, I knew the tools were there. I guess I should have realized that sometimes somebody's going to use that for a game. But it also gives it a really cool art design. And, you know, that, that kind of aesthetic to it. Yeah, I guess it does, yeah. You've got this female voice that comes up. Uh, that's kind of unexpected. And I, I need to find out who's playing that female lead, because the voice is so familiar to me. And, and I don't know why. 
The idea of having the different masks that gives you different skill sets, I think, is a great idea because obviously, to complete different puzzles, you need the different masks to be able to to complete that puzzle. Yes. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, they, you do get treated differently if you don't have the right mask on. I ran into that. Otherwise, they're like, oh, yeah, come on in, you're good. So uh, that's another piece of the puzzle to it. But it was a fun game. I, like I said, only had about 15 minutes to it. But I could have kept going. I didn't feel any real dizziness or anything. I don't really respond that way to VR anyway. But no, it was a fun game. So I guess you're coming up to your last interview. Last interview, this was one of those games that it looks so basic and it's like, what is that? What What is the appeal of that? And it's a rhythm game where the idea is that you are basically in a car simply looking upwards. So you're driving by and you're looking at this scenery and, and you're looking up at the things. And like, uh, you know, you're seeing lampposts go by. You're seeing bridges go by. But it's, it's a music rhythm game. I was like, that's a very interesting idea for music rhythm and the game is called Overpass it's from Studio Bean and uh, I was intrigued enough that I wanted to talk to the lead developer Michael Molinari and well, this is what he had to say Hey, I'm at Studio Bean and their game is Overpass which is it's a music rhythm game but it's got a twist to it and uh, so who am I speaking with? My name is Michael Molinari lead developer at Studio Bean Okay. So Overpass how would you describe it? Uh, I like to call it a rhythm adventure from a new perspective that's her one liner Yeah it's definitely a new perspective because that perspective is as though you're driving down the highway looking up out the window basically Yeah it came from my obsession with looking out the window as a passenger in a car my whole life. Uh, I mean, I wanted to make this thing for a long time. And uh, I moved to Texas about five years ago, and that was kind of the tipping point because there's highways and overpasses everywhere. Yeah. Sometimes four deep, you know? So I was like, if I had a chance to make it, it would have to be right now because I'm the most inspired. It's coming back to me. So what's the gameplay of it? What's the story behind it? Yeah, so we wanted to do a lot of different things from standard rhythm games. So first and foremost, the perspective is your big challenge as you're playing through the game. All the objects in the environment are not only your inputs, but they're also telling a narrative as you move through the world. So as you keep playing the game, you'll learn more about why you're driving, what's going on, what happened here, where's all the other cars, and things like that. So we're trying to do extra things. There's also like branching paths. So instead of just picking a song selection on a playlist, you're picking a road trip and a playlist of music as you pick each level and move through the world. Oh, wow. And where does the music come from? It all comes from one musician. His name is Makeup and Vanity Set. Uh, he did all original uh, 40 tracks for the game for 40 levels. Uh, he usually does not work in video games, so that's kind of why I wanted to work with him. He does documentaries, podcasts, and short oh, wow. films. And uh, he approaches like a short film. Like when I was telling him about uh, the first level, he's like, you know, what's the motivation of this level? And I was like, that's not something you ask about video games. You ask that about <laughs> an actor, right? So, so we approached it from a different angle, and that's why I didn't want it to sound like a video game when you play it. So you're the first video game he's worked on? No, I think I'm the third. At the time, he had just released Brigador, which is actually just down the hall a little bit. Uh, but other than that, he only has maybe about three games under his belt. That's so how long did it take to develop this? 
Uh, about two and a half years. Wow. Uh, the first year was just spent pitching to publishers, so right. that's really just polishing the same demo over and over. So core time was a year and a half. Right. So this is your first PAX East? Or? This is my first PAX East and in Boston and New England in general, oh, despite having been born and raised in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. You just never make it up here. No, you never do. Well, you go past, what reason do you really have to go past New York City if you're in Jersey? That's exactly where I stop. Yeah. yeah. Manhattan, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So what, what platforms is this currently available on? It's currently on PC, on Steam. Is it going to be coming to any of the others? or? There's a just... possibility for stuff, but nothing's announced right now. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, if anybody wants any more information on the game, where do they go? Yeah, they can go to the website. It's overpass.es. It spells out overpasses. Nice. But I'm not from Spain. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. You know, out the, whoever came up with Bitly, I doubt, is in Libya. That's true. <laughs> it works. All right. Thank you for your time. Good thank luck you. with the game. How's the response been so far? Uh, pretty good. I mean, uh, it came out six months ago, so I uh, I already know how it's going to go because it already went. Right. Uh, but everyone here loves it. PAX is the best crowd because everyone loves everything. Yeah. And people have been here, and they show me their phone, like, look, I just bought it. I'm like, thank you so much. Nice. It really That's means awesome. a lot that you're, right. you're going to stand right here and buy the thing. So, yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank and you. Uh, good luck. Yeah. Have you watched the like, trailer for it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's a very basic aesthetic to it, but yet there's something compelling about it. I can't explain it. The way the graphics are it reminded me of a game. I'm trying to remember the name of it now. It's made by a company called, I think they were called Delphine Software. It was a French game fade to black or something like that it was very basic in the animation but very slick very smooth mm-hmm. which this is and um when i was looking at the demo for this listening to the music it was almost like listening to something that daft punk would come out with yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and then i gotta admit i'm curious as to how do you get a narrative from this because you're just driving. That's all. You're, well, you're not even driving. You're simply... You're a passenger. Yeah. yeah, you're a passenger and you're responding to, you know, whichever direction... Because it's a rhythm game. So you're just going by the button presses, but there's a narrative to it. It's very intriguing how to do that. If you to put it into words, it's not very easy. You need to see it. And obviously you will get the opportunity to do that on the show notes. But yeah, no, there's nothing out there like it. No, I mean, you're, you're going through futuristic buildings. Then you're going through, you know, palm tree areas with windmills. And then you're going through uh, an Egyptian setting with a, the sun setting in front of you. It's, but there's, yeah, how do you describe it? It's not like it's low poly because what's there is detailed, but there's no detail. Yeah, it's almost like it's gone through one of those soft focus yeah. filter things. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, I mean, if you're into music games and rhythm games, it's 15 bucks. So it's, once again, that's not a bad price. No, no, especially, he said, what do you say, 40 levels? Yeah. With, with branching narratives? So there's replay value to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was really intrigued by it, and it looks fun. Plus, I, I don't mind music rhythm games at all. So, yeah, 15 bucks. Now, from what you put out there for the interviews, there's been quite a, an, an international feel to the whole procedure this time around. There, in fact, there was a section at PAX that was nothing but Australian developers. That's it. I'm, that's certainly not going to argue with that one. They need just as much exposure as anyone else. I don't envy them their flight time. No, if I'm doing Australia, I would definitely do that in two hits. (laughs) Stop off somewhere like, uh, I don't know, Dubai or somewhere. Somewhere like that, 
or Singapore would be a great stop off and then uh, you know spend a couple of days there and then go on to Australia from there yeah but yeah because you're right a lot of them were from Australia the folks from Unbinary being from Brazil yeah Yeah. and you had the guy from Belgium and Norway so Yeah. yeah real international feel and again that seems to be an indie thing we all know that the big triple A's have offices all over the world but whatever they just send their representatives local to wherever the convention is and there you go well Ubisoft might send them from Montreal but I'm sure that they've got someone in New York they might even have someone in Boston and all that but then actually talk with the developers who come in from all over the world and it's their game it's one of the things that I love about PAX and one of the things that I love about hanging in the indie section. Even beyond the interviews, there were some other games that I tried that were really cool. One of them, I gotta say, they hooked me into it and I really enjoyed it, but it's a bullet hell game. For anyone who doesn't know what bullet hell is, basically you have a bunch of enemies on the screen. They're shooting a whole ton of projectiles all different directions and you need to avoid them while being able to somehow shoot them. But this is, unfortunately for me, an iOS-only game called The Day We Fought Space. And so I started to play it, and yeah, it's bullet hell, but the catch to it is that the weapons that they offer that you can pick up are different. (laughs) Like, one of them is like the old, uh, not ball and chain, but that sort of thing. So you end up with this ball flying around your ship that's attached to a tether, and you have to move up and down correctly, you know, with, with physics to try to get it to move faster and swing into the enemies. It's like, okay, you don't see that very often. And another one was like a, a foam gun where you shoot it and it can't go very far and it starts to break apart shortly after you shoot it, but it does a lot of damage. So you have to decide what kind of weapons work best for what kind of enemy while still avoiding the whole bullet hell thing. And I was playing that, I was like, okay, this is actually kind of fun. And then she dropped the bomb of, yeah, we're not doing it on Android yet. Ah, really? Really? That, that one was a bit of a bummer, but that was fun. There's another one that I do love puzzle games, especially creative ones. This one was called, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it properly, uh, Mon Cage. I hope it's M-O-N-C-A-G-E. And... This one is really cool. It's a, uh, but it's a cube, but each side of the cube shows a different scene in 3D space. So it's as though you, you know, you can actually go into the cube and you can zoom in a little bit and you can back out. But what you have to do is you have to, it's a puzzler, so you have to do one step at a time, but it has to somehow involve combining at least two sides together. And one thing might be that you have to slide a switch. And on the other panel, you have to be zoomed in just the right way, and you have to rotate just the right way that you can form a sliding switch based on the environment that you're looking at. It's like one could be outside on a farm. The other one could be inside in a cluttered garage, that sort of thing. And you have to do it all properly so that, oh, by sliding this switch, you're opening a panel on some other side of the cube so then you have to rotate around to that side of the cube which maybe the switch unlocked a mechanical lifting crane so then you now have to find out okay what on that would equal a crane and what on that would equal the other part of the crane and so you have to rotate it in in three axes not just two 
you know, so you have to zoom in, you have to go look up, down, you have to go left, right to get, all right, where would that crane be? Okay, then you get the crane together and you activate the crane. That opens up the next stage. It was really fun. I was having a good time with that one. Those are the kind of games that I like. And probably the craziest one, it's called Maneater. And you basically play a shark that's getting vengeance upon the fishermen who killed your mother. Okay. Okay, well, what is, what's the big deal about that? But the thing is, it's third person kind of thing. And the game itself looks gorgeous because, yes, you're a shark. But it's also kind of RPG-ish because there's a huge coastline that you could explore and you can go underwater. Well, of course you're underwater. Duh, you're a shark. But you can swim through shipwrecks. But because it's an RPG, you also build up your strength and so forth. But then you have hunters who are coming after you. So you have to eat them. And you can do stuff like thrashing your tail. So there's a boat with three guys on it who are trying to kill you. You can jump out of the water, smash the boat up with your tail. The guys get knocked off. You go back into the water and you chomp them and you're thrashing side to side to rip them apart. It's violent. It's bloody. It's fun as hell. You know, things like that. And if you want, you can even take vengeance just because you're angry. Somebody killed your mom. And the thing is, the antagonist is a guy you're supposed to hate. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who thinks that it's his mission from God to kill all sharks. So you learn to hate him real fast. But, you know, you could even go up onto the beach and eat people there if you need to. And it sounds gross and nasty, but it is actually so much fun. Like I said, there's this huge coastline, a bunch of underwater places that you could explore. And of course, you know, you'll see schools of fish swimming around. You'll see turtles and and that sort of thing. Uh, So there are places to explore, things to do, and people to eat. I waited like an hour and a half in line for that, and it was so worth it. It gets so crazy with the RPG elements. Obviously, you can increase your swimming speed. You can increase your strength. They go crazy with, you can get stuff like electrified bone plating. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how. But they decided to crank up the ridiculousness of it. I guess just well, just to make it more fun and to let it make it seem less violent and bloody. Because you know, you know that people are going to go for that kind of electrified bone armor. I know I will. <laughs> it was crazy, but at the same time, it looked gorgeous. It was a good time. It always is. Again, I'm just glad that we were able to get there before everything got shut down. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, my beloved Tenocon has been shut down, too. But on the other hand, that gives me another year to develop Warframe guns. Yeah, it leaves us a little bit uh, up in the air of what we're going to do with Field of Force Day Aylesbury now. Oh, yeah. We have penciled it in for October. Personally, I can't see that happening. Probably not. (laughs) There's a lot of speculation that we're going to be getting a second wave soon which is rumored to be even worse. If it follows the 1918 pandemic, there's going to be three waves. The second one will be a lot worse. So I would not be surprised if we don't have a PAX East next year. Stinks, but, you know, what can you do? Spamhead Productions are a small, independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spamhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spamheadproductions.com. 
spamheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Once again, been great having you on the show. Uh, it's been great being tolerated once more. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> we got a bit delayed with it, <laughs> but it's understandable under yeah. the circumstances. Um, I'm trying to think of some ideas to get some other people on the show. I've got some ideas for some people that we can get involved, and I think now is the time to get people involved because people have got time on their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So. The next show that will be going out will be the May Skies Guide with Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. And um, we'll bring something else to you hopefully in May. Just got to figure out which way we're going to take it. Are we going to take it down the space route? Are we going to take it down the sci-fi route? I don't know. I mean, there's still space stuff going on. Not as much, obviously, because places are still shut down. Uh, I didn't catch it, but uh, I think SpaceX just launched a whole bunch of new Starlink satellites today. Yeah, yeah. Another 60 went up tonight. Um, they managed to land the first stage for the first time in a couple of launches now. Yeah. They've not been too successful with that, so yeah. that was good. But yeah, there are some stuff going up and with a bit of luck next month will be the crew dragon they got it scheduled for 27th of may yeah first time launching astronauts from u.s territory since the shuttles it's been a long time since we've had that not that it really matters anymore i hope they're going to do what they said they were going to do oh. on the last shuttle launch they took up with them an American flag, uh-huh. and it's still up on the ISS. Oh, nice. And what they said was the next American spacecraft that goes up their crewed are going to bring it back with them. Oh, that's cool. I was going to say, if they bring up another one, that's, that's starting a really slap of jingoism. <laughs> Can we not do that? <laughs> no, they're, they're going to bring the, the old one back. That's cool. Which I thought to myself, yeah, I'm going to remember this <laughs> and see if they actually do it. And they're going to launch with the worm logo. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, you know, I think that I don't know if that's a generational thing or not. So I have friends of mine who are just like, oh, really? I like the meatballs. That's fine. You can like the meatball. I like both. Elon Musk definitely had some input on that. Oh, really? I think so. Why? Because he loves the retro, the, that 80s, 70s, 80s retro feel. He's always been into that. I mean, it's simple and it's retro, but yet it's futuristic. And when you think of the late 70s, early 80s, and their idealism of what the future was going to be, that is the kind of view of it, yeah. I think. Yeah, that's true. A lot of sci-fi movies use that kind of font, too. Not quite the same. No, not the same, but they're the same look and feel. Yeah. Well, we can talk about whatever we want next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. So that leaves us to say uh, the usual, which is, uh, well, I'm going to say thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. And we'll speak to you again soon. I say toodles, you silly English niggits. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. 
If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.